Can I quickly talk about the set? Of course you can. Because the set is mad. And I fucking love it. I'm all for it. A couple of crypts with a massive inflatable pumpkin, which has been held by an even more massive inflatable (laughs) goblin or gargoyle of some kind that that occasionally just moves. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Lovely stuff. Oh, you know, I watched it. As soon as that came on, I was like, hello. There we go. There we go. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'd say this pay-per-view and probably Halloween Havoc 96, the two Halloween Havocs I've probably watched, if not all of, most of. And, um... I do love how they really go out for Halloween Havoc. They always put like, you know, graveyards around and do this mad, this mad shit. And I'm like, do you know what? I'm all in for that. I'd love a bit more of that now. You know, Easter, get the fucking Easter bunny out for, you know, in like May and March. You know, have fucking, I don't know, what other, like May Day have some, um, what do you call them? Morris dancers. Seasonal pay-per-views. Oh, you, you could have a Morris dancer match instead of a lumberjack match. Just Morris dancers dancing around the ring, and if the wrestlers go out, they just get caught up and they have to dance around with them. There's a there's a <laughs> massive maypole in the middle of the ring, and oh. they all got to hold on to a bit of the ribbon <laughs> and continually run around the ring. And if they let go, they get eliminated. They get sent yeah. away. Yeah, oh. they got to wrestle. Yeah, they got to wrestle while they're having That'd it. I'd love that. That is bums on seats. Happy Halloween to all of our listeners out there, and today we have a suitably themed episode as we are covering WCW Halloween Havoc 1998 in the second part of our Monday Night War comparison doubleheader, following coverage last week of WWE's Judgment Day in your house. Today we have with us old man Sam Kerry, who last week begun a gradual reconfiguring of the WWE's self-titled eras. It currently runs Rock and Wrestling, New Generation, Attitude, Ruthless, Aggression, etc. But now WWE have to find room for the Jim Ross denim shirt phase. Old man, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, man. I was hoping you'd be wearing a Jim Ross denim WWE shirt, but also it'd be off-brand because it's WCW this week. Next time we're covering WWF, I'm expecting one. Well, two things there. First of all, I did actually try and get one of those lovely Bash at the Beach polo shirts for this one. Um, (laughs) But no such luck. And also, I imagine those Jim Ross denim shirts go like hotcakes. I bet you can't get any for love nor money. No, I'll bet. I wonder if they were for sale. I'd imagine they were. You can beat Jim Ross. (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? Who would not want that? (laughs) There you go. Get slagged off for a living. There you go. Lovely. (laughs) Also on the pod, we have Tom Smith, who recently revealed his inability to get his mouth around the large saltwater mollusk while on his travels around the US. So it appears, in Tom's case, the world is not his oyster after all. Tom, how are oh, you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, very well, thank you. And the great use of the word mollusk doesn't get used <laughs> enough these days. So, um, Definitely not. Yeah, get your mollusks. <laughs> Gaffer tape your mollusks to the table. <laughs> so uh, let's get going. I um, I need to. I, I realised something over the course of this week. You watched and... Elimination Chamber 2014 by mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if you focus on something too much, you can end up becoming the person you hate. Mm. Now, I consider this a hobby, not a job, a podcast. But I very much brought my child to the recording yesterday, oh. which is very much on the right on the similar path as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt I needed to own up to the hypocrisy there for a second, <laughs> lads, because they always take a whack at yourself before someone else does. 
So there you go. Yeah. I admit it. I did a bit of a steamboat last week, and I don't regret it. But I'm still a better worker than him with more charisma. <laughs> we don't regret it either. It was lovely to see Shinsuke nah, Nakamura on the podcast. Probably the most charismatic host that we've had so far. Do <laughs> what as well. A cracking Kinshasa to Tommy as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, and I can quite confidently say that I have now wiped two people's asses who have been on the podcast. <laughs> let everyone else figure out figure out who the other one was. Oh, lovely. So we are covering WW Halloween Havoc 1998 today. And as I said, it's the second part of our double header comparing i guess overall the two shows what of course we had judgment day in your house last week before we get into this show though i want to take a quick moment to make a little shout out to daniel the manual on twitter who's been a great who's been a great supporter of us over on there and encourage our listeners to come join us on twitter facebook and instagram at rwrpod uk so our expectations going into halloween havoc 1998 uh why don't we start with you old man so I was very much looking forward to this. 98 WCW. This is a running theme anytime. Insert year WCW. I ain't seen none of it. I know I thought, you know what, this would be bloody good. And obviously we got the comparison. I was looking forward to that. And then I saw it. I saw Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus the Warrior. And I thought, <gasps> and then I was fucking amped for it. Because I was like, this is going to be a car crash. And I was pretty confident the rest of it would be all right. And I thought, if that's as bad as I think it's going to be, it's going to be gold. It's going to be so bad, it is good. And that is good. Tom. Excellent. <laughs> um, so I, again, well, the first thing that I thought when I turned on the WWE Network and searched for uh, WCW Halloween Havoc 1998, the first thing that struck me was, why does Hogan look so old and like he's about to cry in the, in the picture, which is just really weird. I encourage anybody on uh, who's listening to this to go and have a look at it. It's just an odd picture to sell a pay-per-view one, is that one. I thought this was going to be pretty grim. I'm not going to lie. I remember I was in Florida in August 1998, or maybe late August, early September, when the Warrior actually made his debut in uh in in wcw and i uh came back so i it was on a monday and i think we flew back on like a wednesday or something like that before it aired on the friday and i bet uh someone from school a fiver that the ultimate warrior would turn up <laughs> in WCW. <laughs> but the seeing that seeing this knowing that this match was going to be a disaster I, and seeing the length of it at bit the show being three hours and 15 minutes i had a little bit of dread going in um that being said i actually do remember at the time really quite liking the wolf pack as well so and we haven't seen a show with the wolfpack as of yet so a little bit six to one half dozen the other quite a little bit of excitement for the reasons that old man said and a little bit of dread because i think it's myself i'm gonna be here for fucking ages watching this i remember the debut of the warrior and i watched it at your house your parents house and uh i was quite amped because i well, had this been... just before you wiped your ass <laughs> <laughs> I was quite amped because I was quite a fan of the Warrior when he, you know, not knowing much about him, especially as you, if you remember, I started watching in 94. I had gone back to watch some stuff, but he wasn't around when I first started watching it. And he always struck me as the most, as one of the more interesting members of the WWE roster back in the day. So you watched his Dynamite 1996 run in WWF <laughs> and thought, oh, I'll have some That's more of me. that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, that kind of, again, because I just didn't have access to it. We've spoken about this before. I didn't get access to television until 1998, until this sort of period. So I didn't have the access to the to the shows. 
so I was quite amped for it. But then, I, and I remember the the reports about it was uh, that he was supposed to have he's supposed to walk, like talk for seven minutes. Ended up talking for seventeen minutes on that particular episode of Nitro that he debuted on. It did a there monster was, rating. Did it twenty twenty seven minutes he spoke for? Twenty seven minutes. Yeah, he was Crikey he was given me. a seven minute schedule, uh, seven minute window, and he spoke for twenty seven minutes. Wow, I didn't, I honestly had forgotten that. So that's incredible. And yeah, and it did a monster rating at the time, but uh, I think it pretty much killed his his comeback there and then just with that one one uh, promo. So I was I was really looking forward to seeing this because I hadn't seen it before, but I remember at the time it feeling like a really big show because we've got four really big matches. And I remember the lineup almost entirely, or certainly the big matches anyway. And there are four really big matches in the main event slots of this of this show and thought it'll be very interesting to see what it was that I was missing out on not being able to watch WW pay per views mm. at the time. Yes. Yes, yeah, so that's interesting you mentioned the set because I do have a little uh, note there about the crazy set they've got. And also before that, we obviously see a video package which highlights the big four matches, but it does so in quite a brief way, kind of just says here are the matches. I was comparing those two things to the WWF show that we watched last week, obviously the same sort of time. And the the set is just, as you said, is wild. It's really mad. And compare that with the really basic setup that WWE had for mm. Judgment Day in your house. And then, but their video package on the WWE side was just so much more detailed, so much more kind of really highlighted how we said how cool Raw is and, and looked at the time. And this was kind of just very quickly, here are your matches, off you go. So there's also a notice, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but when we get brought to the announce team, when you're, we're being introduced by Tony Schiavone, um, Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay, the difference in like the energy and the enthusiasm between these and the WWF commentary team from the previous week is quite startling as well. It, the WCW announced team and the way it's presented and the way they talk feels a lot more old school, whereas the WWF one felt a bit more, I don't know, high energy and a bit more impactful and, and a bit more engaging and fun, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, Apart from is... uh, Bob, when Bobby Heenan puts on this weird mask <laughs> that it looks like he's about to go to an orgy later on. <laughs> It was it's quite interesting. We'll kind of go through this because like Heenan is as reined in as I think I've ever heard him on anything. Because like Tommy said, it's very old school. Drawing's not really fair because I think they are having a decent old time. But yeah, there's not Jerry Lawler quick little witty remarks, are there? Thankfully, <laughs> it's just different. I mean, I think is it's yeah. what what really kind of always stands out to me, especially when you watch them side by side like this. That we for the last twenty years. Obviously, now AEW's come along and changed things a little bit. But for the last 20, 20 years, I've had effectively one way of seeing how wrestling is presented and how it works. And we just expect certain things from it when actually the truth is, is there are many ways of doing this. There's not just one way. And it really speaks to the fact that I've said before, even when we did Slambury 2000, that there were still lots of people watching WCW, even when it was absolutely dog shit. And the truth is, is mm. that's because people wanted something different than what WWE offered. They just they wanted that alternative. And so WCW is an alternative at this point. It's very different. It's a brighter. Um, the lighting is 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 brighter in WCW's mm. arenas compared to the WWE arenas. There, there's a slightly more family-oriented side of WCW. I would suggest is a little bit, a little bit more towards a family sort of side of things. Although compared with WWF in the mid '90s, it's probably a little bit more grown up. It's not as grown up, if you like, or certainly not as profane as 
the WWE mm. had become by this point. So just really, I just like it. I just like the fact that we're you're seeing things differently, you're seeing different things pre- presented, um, and and just even as you said, Tom, even just the way that the commentators introduce the show, it's a bit more reserved. It's a bit more kind of serious, I would suggest. A bit more kind of like we are now settling down for a show of wrestling. Um, strap yourselves in. I'll tell you what I liked as well, and obviously this isn't necessarily WCW's doing, but the uh, the arena, so it was in the MGM Grand, didn't it? Mm-hmm. It's all just one stand. And I, I really like that. It looks really cool. I did look at the attendance. It looks like probably the site that they don't show was probably empty. But it just looked really good, just full of people. Like you said, the lighting, they're lit up. You can see them. You can see their little faces. Look how happy they are. Probably just gambled their life earnings away on a weekend. But yeah, go on, WCW. I'm in. So um, we start with the Nitro Girls dancing in the ring, which is a rare appearance for the Nitro Girls, apparently, on pay-per-view. In fact, they comment that it is the first time you've seen the Nitro Girls at a pay-per-view. I don't know they why called... they decided this was the this was the thing, but... Well, they're not called the pay-per-view girls, are they? No, <laughs> they're not indeed. Uh, that, would be, that would give it a whole different, you know, seedy mm. undertone, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching this. I'm thinking, oh god, this is a bit shit, isn't it? It's not. It's, I'll be honest. They, they're not, the dancing's not even very good. They're a bit out of sync with each. I mean, to be fair, I mean, if you, the three of us had a little dance together in front of millions of people, it probably wouldn't wouldn't be very good. But uh, I wasn't very impressed with this, and I thought to myself, I'm glad that's over. You, yeah. you, 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 you're underselling us there, Tom. I, I think we <laughs> yeah. have a bloody great time. I need to find that picture of us stood in front of the burner bow and put that on. <laughs> yeah. Put that on the. Well, see if I don't people. remember this. What is this? Oh, mate, it's tremendous. It's um, a picture of the three of us, and we're all stood in this really strange way. I think Johnny must have got us to pose in it, and we're all stood there. We've got our like, uh, legs it, crossed over in front of each other. <laughs> so I remember that now, and actually, I think the, my my thought behind it was that it was the tongue-tied video, Red Dwarf, when they, they do exactly the same thing. But the, the thing is with that, though, is that old man's... Well, I, I, old man's not involved in Red Dwarf, is he? So I don't know why he would he would get on board with that. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll find it and I'll uh, <laughs> and I'll send it. It's a magnificent picture. I'll put it on social media as well. So the the show, I guess the show. I was going to say the show starts proper, but I, I guess that's not really true because we begin with Gene Oakland Sexist. on the stage. Say no, no. I didn't mean that. I meant we're going into the wrestling, but this is not wrestling. Dean Oakland's on the stage saying that this will be one of the greatest pay-per-views in WCW history. He then introduces Rick Steiner. Rick says, it's the hound in the pound and I'm going to get down. Yeah, he's going to have a little dance. Bagwell then comes out. Buff Bagwell comes out and says that we're all sick of Big Papa Pump. He says the NWO don't work one-on-one and offers to watch Rick Steiner's back during his scheduled match with Brother Scott. Rick says he doesn't know if he can trust Bagwell, um, but Bagwell looks him in the eyes and says that he is done with the NWO. He seems to convince Steiner by doing Steiner's woof. (laughs) (laughs) And that was what I learned from this. That's what it takes. You can get Rick Steiner to do anything as long as you go, oh, 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 oh. (laughs) <laughs> and he does the little run around doesn't yeah, he as well yeah. um, Go on, Rick Steiner's clothing is incredible he's wearing a fantastic dog leather jacket that's got little like little plastic model dogs on the shoulders which is incredible to be fair this is the best promo I've ever heard Rick Steiner cut but bloody hell does it go on you know where we're going why does it take about three minutes to get there <laughs> <laughs> 
And the, the back and forth between the two of them is so wooden. <laughs> between the two is so dreadful. But do you know what? Again, I'm 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 already watching this thinking, God, I'm gonna have a good laugh about this chatting to these boys about it. So again, I'm in. I'm all in. I tell I tell you, I don't think this is Bagwell's fault. I think Rick Stein is just struggling a little bit with a live microphone. Um struggling. And life, so- I think. <laughs> I also thought this was a good time for me to mention that Tom, me and you have already reviewed a show that was around about this time. So we re- we reviewed the show that took place before this on the Daily Squash about six years ago, um, Fall Brawl 1998 with a War Games match which had three different teams. Oh God! And is that the is that the Horsemen and the two NWOs? It's WCW and two N- NWOs, and uh, it's won by DDP, which is obviously why he gets the title shot in the main event of this show. And yeah, and so and this particular storyline features quite heavily in that show because Rick and Scott Steiner, I'm going to do the background here because I think we get a lot of Rick and Scott Steiner stuff during the show, so it makes sense. Um, Rick and Scott Steiner had been in a feud effectively since very early in 1998, but one of them, I think Rick, had got injured and had been out of action for months. Then they'd had a scheduled match, or they were scheduled to have a match, sorry, I think the August pay-per-view maybe, and Scott Steiner cried off through some kind of fake injury. Then they did have a singles match at Fall Brawl, which is the show we reviewed previously, Tom. Mm. And during, I should also say that also earlier in the year, Bagwell had suffered a really, really bad injury where he'd basically, as a consequence of Rick Steiner bulldog off the top rope, where Rick Steiner had bulldogged him and had, had lost control of Bagwell's head in the air and Bagwell's head went into his back and almost like put him out basically Ooh, almost put him out yeah. put him out of his career. He was in a wheelchair, wasn't he? Back, well, I think he I don't I think it was a gimmick. I think the right. wheelchair was a gimmick. Um so they really played that into the storyline. They really played that real life into the storyline. And what they did at at Fall Brawl the previous pay-per-view was that they were about 5 minutes in and then Steiner hit Bagwell because Bagwell got up on the apron, then Bagwell went down and stayed down and they then had a 10-minute situation where both Steiner stopped wrestling. The paramedics came down, got him onto a stretcher, took him out to the ambulance. They put him in the ambulance. This honestly lasted about five to ten minutes. And then as soon as Rick Steiner turned his back, having put him into the ambulance, Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell attacked him. And it was all exposed as a ruse. So with all that context, it still only took Bagwell to do the rough (laughs) to uh, convince Rick Steiner that he was uh, he was telling the truth. He still fell for it. He still fell for it. uh... Richard. I like to I like to think he not only was it the rough, the woofing and all that, <laughs> but he was also I'll tell you what, Bagwell's wearing the fuck out of that leather Kangle hat backwards. <laughs> so how, how can I how can I not be on the same team as this guy? And a beautiful Fubu top. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot that Fubu was a thing, but it's quite big in WCW by the looks of it, because there, there's I, a few it, lads wearing them. Um, I wonder if it's I wonder if it's like um like a I hear there's blatantly a Jordan an undercover. Jordan deal in AEW, maybe WCW yeah. back in the day was sponsored by FUBU. So we then finally get our first match, although it nearly doesn't happen. It is between Chris Jericho and Raven. But before the match, Raven suggests that he's not interested. He wasn't originally scheduled. They weren't advertised as having a match beforehand, but they have been put together um, on the night in an impromptu contest for the TV title. Before Raven, however, can leave, Jericho throws some insults his way and suggests that... Uh, you know, he may as well not have the match anyway because Jericho would win, which causes Raven then to actually get involved. And we have ourselves an eight minute contest, which ends 
when after Raven hits the even flow DDT, but Jericho manages to kick out. Then Jericho hits a low blow, followed by a German suplex for another kick out. Jericho then runs into Canyon, who'd come down to the ring. But when Raven went for DDT off the back of this, Jericho reverses it into a lion tamer and Raven instantly taps out. The commentator suggests that Raven maybe even gave up before the the pain got to him. So thoughts on this opener, Tom? First of all, Joker comes down and he's got Break the Walls dubbed over his music, which is weird. A strange precedent to set, which they don't do later on. He comes down wearing a wonderful Monday Night Jericho t-shirt that I, I yeah. would love to have now, even though we all kind of a bit hit and miss on, uh, on him. The promo from Raven's pretty good. I quite liked it. And then Jericho's promo as he comes down is quite funny as well. It was quite good, yeah. which gets a pop from the crowd. I like it when he calls Raven a loser. When the action starts... Jericho attacks Raven with his jacket. And then later on, Raven chokes Jericho with his own shirt. And I thought, I'll tell you what, that's a bit of good use of clothes in this match. <laughs> Don't get it very often, do you? A lot of, I remember, I think it's at uh, the Rumble 92 where Hogan's shirt goes around and chokes about 15 different people out in the match. And this is the most <laughs> consistent use of clothes in a wrestling match I've seen since then. So I enjoyed that. Um, this match is, is all right. I, I quite enjoyed it. The Raven does a good job of making it look like he's getting the shit kicked out of him, which is which is quite enjoyable. And there's a couple of bits from Jericho that I that I enjoyed about it. For example, that he gets um he gets drop kicked and goes out, falls out of the ring, and as he's trying to get back in the ring, he's just screaming screaming help me <laughs> for some reason. I don't know who to. He's going help me, help me. And there's a really bizarre bit of commentary where Bobby Heenan goes, "Well, Raven, what about Raven?" <laughs> which went nowhere but it was it was all right it wasn't a bad match to start the pay-per-view but we've, we're about 15 minutes into the pay-per-view at this point or at least that's how it feels <laughs> so i don't really think of it as an opening match this is like a this is like halfway through it's almost like a match that we're going to get just before an intermission but it was it was quite good i, I enjoyed it i think raven is is a is a wrestler that I've, I've never been too sure on but i just love as we've kind of established, I loved it when pe- I love it when people are really kind of into their characters, and he evidently was so much so actually that I think he's probably gone a bit mad and become the Raven himself now, as opposed to when he was when he was Johnny Polo earlier. You know, it's quite a, quite a departure. And Chris Jericho is still still a little bit. He's not. Less, I wouldn't go so far as to call him green, but again, he's still. I don't know. Uh, Jericho's Jericho's a funny one because there there are elements of of him, but I couldn't figure out what he was in this match. I couldn't figure out if he was a heel or a babyface because he gets a bit of a decent reaction from the crowd, but he's also doing these really daft kind of heelish tendencies. Like he does like a little skip when he wins, like the help me stuff is all that of a of a clownish cartoonish babyface. So there's a little bit of a, a bit of a you know a mess up between well, not mess up but a bit of confusion between the two characters in this one, and I wasn't quite sure what the dynamic was. I don't know what you boys thought about that. I don't think it's clear who the baby face is. And, no. I, and I was thinking about even just from the context that I know of the two. And at the time, they are both heels. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're both heels. Mm. So that is very strange. It was just around this point that WSW was starting to offer Jericho a renewed contract because his contract was due to end middle of next year, as we all know, because he arrived in WWE. And he wouldn't sign it because they weren't pushing him. Basically, they weren't doing enough to, to keep him going because he'd had an amazing summer in, in in 1998 and then he'd had the stuff with Goldberg where he's kind of like almost almost got Goldberg into a, a really big angle with him and but for whatever reason Goldberg just wouldn't have the match there were rumors that um some of the likes of Hogan and whatnot had got in Goldberg's ear and said you don't want to fight you don't want to wrestle a guy like Jericho Jericho and um he was becoming I think organically popular in the same similar way as The Rock had done that same year 
And I think that WWE just weren't really acknowledging it. And Jericho decided he would take his chances going to WWE instead. And so it's not long after this that WWE just bury him for six months. They just don't do a thing with him um, as if he needed convincing that he'd made the right choice mm-hmm. to, to make that jump. But uh, yeah, very strange. I'll tell you what else is strange. Why is Raven so annoyed about getting a title shot? That's what I don't understand. I get it. I, I kind of like that story running through the match where Raven's just kind of had enough. But I did think I was like, oh, it's for the it's for the WCW World Television Championship. I mean, it's not quite that title that existed for about a fortnight. What was it? The uh, Mexican heavyweight title <laughs> that we had the other week. But it's still like, it's still a title match. But much like Tommy, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought this was a lovely little fast-paced starter. You know me. I like it when they beat the tar out of each other. And they do for a bit. It's like Tommy said with the clothing. And the thing that I really liked is the lack of rules. Because they allude to this much later on in the pay-per-view. They're very loose with, with the rules. Oh, Randy Anderson and Mickey Henson. They're not very keen on, like like you said, whipping with the coat, choking with the shirt. A bit of outside interference as well. A couple of low blows. I think there's one low blow in this. There's about a thousand in a match later. <laughs> but this would this was good. I like the um there's a spot where Raven I'm assuming he's gonna do the uh the old boss man double axe handle on the outside and he runs up the steps and goes to jump off and Jericho drop kicks him. I swear just looked very good. And I think this was quite good. Going back to uh, the old Jericho, I thought this match could have been any WWF match that he has for pretty much the first probably four years he's in WWF. I thought he just looked exactly the same. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it made me think, like, oh, he did the same moves every night, pretty much, well, his whole career. But I was like, oh, he must have had this, this same, like, I think it's his eight minutes or some of this match. It's about the same eight-minute match forever. But well done, lads. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really decent opener, this. Really, really decent. Funnily enough, that Fall Brawl show that we watched, Raven and his match with Saturn is the best match on that show. Um, it's a Raven Rules match, and he's, Saturn needs to win in order to free the rest of the flock. And they do allude to that a little bit during this mm. during this show. So Raven has now lost his flock, except Canyon still, I think, wants to be part of or with Raven, which is why he chose to come down and help him. But um, yeah, I thought they constructed a really good match here and actually had some really tight, nice falls towards the end. Really good contest, just really, really tidy stuff and a, a, an excellent way to begin a show. I was, yeah, very pleased with this. Bit of a strange ending, though, with Raven kind of tapping out. And I don't know if this ever got resolved or whether there was anything no. that came up after this. I think the idea was just to sell the general kind of malaise Raven was in now that he no longer had the flock. I think that was the idea. Yeah. But I still don't really understand why you've got two heels here in the opening match against one another. Kind of an odd one, but uh, a good match nonetheless. League's <laughs> kind of an odd one, but WCW. <laughs> I didn't say that about 15 times throughout the show. Yes, that's probably true. Um, and speaking of is WCW, out comes Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan next. Hulk says that he loves Eric Bischoff. He does. Bischoff says that he admires Hogan because he represents the millennium when it comes to family values. <laughs> and he, does and he you ever? Know what? And you know what? Eric Bischoff found this hilarious when he said this. He actually yeah. found it hilarious. 
Hogan says that the black and white NWOites love him and worship the ground he walks on. Hogan says he crucified Horace Hogan and left him in a pool of his own blood. We then see video footage of this as the giant Virgil Scott Norton and Stevie Ray try to stop him. Um, he also makes some threats towards the warrior ahead of their match later in the show. A quick note on Horace. He doesn't leave him in a pool of his own blood because he doesn't bleed. <laughs> and whether he showed the club, I was like, he's not bleeding there. Um, this is just utter flannel. This was the the one bit. Well, I was very much looking forward to this show. This was the one bit I was like, oh, are there going to be a lot of these things? Hogan says at the end that cutting edge and visionaries are my world. And I got no clue what it means. He also says, I'm not going to be long winded and then waffles on for about five minutes about nothing. <laughs> And the term NWOites, he evidently must have just thought of on the way because he can't stop saying it. <laughs> it. It reminds me of me when I get a little saying in my life. And for about three months, that's all I'll say. And then oh. it'll like fall by the waist and then I'll remember it. Maybe that'll become my theme. Maybe I'll be crustites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that done and out of the way. <laughs> Um, next up, we get our second match. It is Wrath, or old man's favourite, Adam Bond, yes! against yeah. Meng, or also known as Haku, in a four and a half minute bollock-off between two men. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call now two pairs of, a pair of bollocks clapping against each other. Yeah. That's what this is. It ends when Wrath hits the meltdown for victory via pinfall. Old man, seeing as you love old Adam Bond so much, uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we speak to you first? Tell you what, mate, you said a couple of bollocks and you can see Mengs. I'll tell you that much. When he's walking down, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can see Mengs' middle wicket here. Um, and his stumps. <laughs> oh, Meng, not keen on the old selling, this lad. <laughs> not, not keen on it at all. And when you're in there with a Titan, like Rat, <laughs> you've got a, you've really, really got to work. You know what? I think I was kind of predisposed to like this. Because I do have a little soft spot for Adam Bomb. I thought this was all right. This is the poorest incarnation of Adam Bomb. I think we can all agree. Out of Adam <laughs> Bomb and Wrath. <laughs> yes, precisely. Um, I'm not sure how much I enjoyed it, really, because basically <laughs> my notes consist of Adam Bomb, three exclamation marks, Meng's junk on show, not keen on selling his Meng, and pump handle slam for the win. And that's it. But you know what? Six stars Tokyo Dome. <laughs> a, sh- a, a dump with shells in the Tokyo Dome, I reckon. Now, all jokes aside, it's not Mark Henry Viscera, but this is as close as we've got, I think, in a three, four minute match. I uh, only wish you'd said your notes before I did the rundown of what happened, because yours was far more comprehensive than mine, <laughs> and it was. covered the whole match. Yeah, well, yeah. that's because I'm a professional, Tinky. You need to pull your bloody socks up. And put you your bollocks away. The one thing you didn't mention, old man, though, is the tremendous uh, Tommy Dreamer-esque forward roll slash cannonball oh, that, yes. that Adam Bomb does to King to King Haku, and it is it is so slow. <laughs> one He's one of the greats. What are you saying? So <laughs> slow. Can we talk about the internet location now, please? Well, in a moment, because there were just before we get there. There was the first instance of boring chance during this, which I, I'm sure old man was very offended by when he. This is this is Adam Bomb. <laughs> this is Adam Bomb's worst run. Adam Adam Bomb's worst run, still better than most of those shit houses in the crowd. Precisely. 
How many matches have they worked on pay-per-view? I'll tell you how many. Zip. Twats. <laughs> um, Fuck off 98 WCW fans in the MGM brand <laughs> watching this. All of you. Unless you're listening, in which case, keep listening, please. You're right, though. It does have that kind of same feeling of, as Viscera and Mark Henry, because there were boring chants during that, if you remember. And yeah. it's just like, it's four minutes, guys. Got four, it's wrong of you. If you can't sit through yeah. four minutes, you've got something do, wrong with you. Do you know what they're paying for on King Haku and Adam Bond? They're paying for that Hogan shit. Probably. That's what they're paying for. And that's why Hogan's bad for business. So... Next up, Billy Kidman, shown talking backstage at WCW.com with Lord Lee Marshall. Tom. Yeah, it's just the internet location. It was the, it was the name of the venue, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know who the guy was, but I've just written where Kidman talks to the man with a deep voice. Because the guy's got an incredibly deep voice. Mm. I could get on board with a format where some there's somebody backstage talking throughout to somebody else um, and interviewing them. And you just get little inserts to the conversation where you may and maybe they pick out a moment where they're saying something particularly interesting which they didn't do here but (laughs) um but i think the idea is quite interesting the idea that they go like oh we're going backstage and currently so-and-so is talking to billy kidman and he then comes out with something Mm -hmm. that you're not not expecting i think that'd be quite cool i'll tell you what lads you know what it's time for don't you byron faxton of the week Billy Kidman in WCW pinned Hulk Hogan to win a match three times. Byron Faxton of the week. And unbelievably, one of them, we we saw Hogan win against him. So he, he, th- yeah. he fought him four times at least. Yeah. Well, that's bad, isn't it? That is absolutely yeah. mad. There can't be I that m- many other people with that record. That, but I took on board what Tommy said the other week about my research, and I researched that, <laughs> and I found it out on the internet, and it was on Wikipedia. Wow, that is impressive. Very research impressive. that isn't Wikipedia. That, yeah. is a, that is a whole new concept for the 21st century. Yeah. And then it got me thinking, and then I realised that I couldn't answer the question, because all the WCW I've watched has been with you boys. I wonder if anyone else can say that. In WCW. I wonder if anyone can say that in any company yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Even, even going far back to his AWA days, I bet no one pinned mm. him that many times. No, that's impressive. That is. Well yeah. done, Billy Kidman. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll a well done, old man, for absolutely cracking by That's a, that a belt effect. Well done. Cheers, cheers brother. <laughs> Match number three sees Disco <laughs> Inferno take on Juventud Guerrero. Guerrero? Juventud Guerrero. In a match which is for the number one contendership to the cruiserweight title, it lasts for nine and a half minutes, and it ends when bulldog, a bulldog by Hoovy yields a two count. Then an exchange ends when Disco hits a pile driver for the pin. Tom, I'll tell you what, I was watching this, and do you know what I thought? I thought if old man was watching WCW in 1998, he'd be a big Disco <laughs> Inferno guy, a massive <laughs> Disco Inferno guy. Hey, I'll tell you what, boys, 23 years later, I'm a big Disco Inferno guy. <laughs> I know, I was watching, I was like, oh, man's going to fucking love this guy. I've seen a little bit of him, and, and I really, I really enjoy how, again, how into it is. And what's so weird about the Disco Inferno gimmick is that how over Disco was at the time. It was just no one was interested in Disco at all. And he's into it so much 
I can't tell if the if the character of the gimmick is supposed to be serious or not. It's, he's absolutely brilliant. So it's, I, I can't tell if it's supposed to be ironic. No one, I don't think, will ever know that the answer to that question. Also, on Hooventude, he's not got his mask on. And especially around at this time, I think like WCW seemed to be a fan of demasking luchadors. I seem to remember them doing it to, um, to Rey Mysterio as well. And these luchadors just lose a bit of their mystique when they lose their masks. So I'm not a fan of it at all, especially considering that I imagine it's probably done for a really shit angle as well. So it's quite disappointing. <laughs> I like the fact there's the classic, he's not a cruiserweight gimmick, because this Gunferno is massive. Compared to <laughs> it's absolutely enormous. And there's uh, a bit in the match where <laughs> this Gunferno does a Macarena. As well. Yes, he does. Brilliant. What a legend. And um, you said Disco wasn't in. Come on. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I also talked about um, Disco and Frodo being massive. I'll tell you what else is massive. Charles Roberts's hair. It's about <laughs> twice the size of his head. It's enormous. <laughs> so I've got to give a shout to him that. I was like, the Disco Inferno does an airplane spin and gets so dizzy that he falls into Hoovy's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing, the other couple of notes I got from the match, and it was it was quite fun. I, I quite enjoyed it, but um, I think Hooventude's Hurricane Run is a really poor. I know it's a very niche, wanky thing to say, but it looked they just look really dangerous. He doesn't look like he gets up high enough, and it it just looks all a bit messy. And in general, his offense looks a bit sloppy. But that fucking pile driver that Disco Inferno does at the end looks absolutely brutal. And I thought to myself after the match ended, I was like, I enjoyed that. I got to hear his music again. And I'm going to hear it again at least one more time. So all in all, I've come out of this match feeling very pleased with myself. Yeah, I forgot to say that obviously not only is this for the number one contendership to the Crusade title, but the winner will get their shot later on in the show. Because the one thing that this card needed was another match. That was the one (laughs) thing. They just didn't didn't have enough. They didn't have enough matches coming on. So Juventud comes down with his face out. UV is groovy is one of the signs. He's not groovy. You know he's bloody groovy, don't you? Oh, Disco Inferno. Are those bloody sneak hips? He's sneaking up to the Mount Rushmore, this guy. Because uh, I really enjoyed this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I was going to. Because I'll be honest, when he come down, I thought, Disco Inferno, he might be a bit crap, and then he does his dancing. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm in here. But they, he gets he gets some great heat from the crowd. Which, like we were saying, like in the first match, they're kind of a bit mixed because I think they're a bit like us. They don't really know who the proper heel is. Wrath and me, they're too busy booing the arseholes to actually like invest in anything. And Disco Inferno gets some great heat at times. Like when he does the Macarena, he gets heat. He gets heat for those moves. That's just jealousy, that is. That's jealousy. <laughs> um, uh, there is a joke about poor weight distribution. For um, I think it's a joke about Disco Inferno because he's that much bigger to Tom's point than even to Guerrero. And old Mike, the professor today, is cackling, so he's obviously been caught off guard by it. But yeah, I quite enjoyed that bit, and I enjoyed Juventude as well. He is a bit sloppy, like Tommy said, but he's quite exciting to watch as well. And he really put his arms into the swing that Disco Inferno did, so he yeah. started off holding his head, and then he was like, fuck this shit, flailing his arms about. Like in Team America, if you've seen it, when Gary, the puppet, is pretending to be ta- uh, is taken by the Taliban and his arms are shaking, that's the signal. Troglodytes, both of you. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the wacky-waving inflatable tube guy. 
No, that's better. Yeah, that's better. That's easier and easier access for Philistines. Mm. Um, yeah, this is a great no match. Good pace, a little bit of scrappy, some high risk stuff. I don't know what that word says. And a lovely little, and a, <laughs> as Tom said, the, <laughs> the pile driver is fantastic for the win. Disco Inferno, fifth spot, might get higher by the end of the day. What a mate. Hmm. Yeah, I thought this was good. I thought this was a good match. Uh, there was a period of time where Disco Inferno was starting to show that he could wrestle. And this was about it. In fact, I think he earned himself a little spot in the new elite NWO that would materialize towards the beginning of the next year. Um, because people thought he was um, he was pretty good. And here he is good. It's a good match and great little pile driver. You're right about Hoovy, though. He is a little bit... Uh, a little bit sloppy um (laughs) he's better than he was against conan two years Mm. previous that we saw but still not great and you're right the mask removing the mask of the uh, because it wasn't just hoovy and ray they did it with they also did it with psychosis as well as you'll remember from our ecw one night stand oh Uh, so i thought that i thought that was the first time it was done in america was in one night was it one night stand yeah so this is what i don't this is what i didn't understand i i think he lost the mask and then for whatever reason he didn't then unmask in a American ring. Right. And then that's why they did it at ECW. Understand? I, I think anyway, I'm pretty certain he was unmasked in the, towards the end of WCW, but you're right. They did. It would be, it would be fine if it was done for a reason, if they had thought about it and thought it through and given them a big, big blow off for the, for the match that, that where it happened. And then followed that up with a story of some kind or a change in character for the, for that person. But, it just did it because they had, they couldn't think of anything else to do. And that's quite disrespectful to a Mexican wrestler, given that it's such an important part of their identity and their mystique. So, yes, it's a bit poor. Good match, though. Nice stuff. Um, and one that, to your point, oh, man, I, I wasn't expecting to enjoy this quite yeah. as much as I did, but it, but it was a good match. No, I legitimately thought the disco music would be the highlight. And that's not that's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing either. So then the dancing continues next because we get another dance by the Nitro Girls who um, have second uh, second go. It's a special event because I've got a second. Tyron Faxton of the week. One of the Nitro Girls is Shawn Michaels' now wife. Tyron Faxton of the week. That was the original fact and I thought people would know that. But hey, those people who didn't. Apparently, Shawn Michaels was watching Nitro and was like, I like her. Yeah. Someone get is, me her. Yeah, and apparently he just <laughs> messaged Kevin Nash and he was like, can you, can you get me your number? That's not a very Christian move, is it, Sean? No, it's not. He's too busy with a bloody crucifix up his ass, wasn't he? <laughs> a crucifix full of cocaine up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, out next comes Scott Steiner. He says that being in Las Vegas is a night off for him, as he usually usually has a freak on his left and another <laughs> on his right, and one in the box. Predictably non-spectacle, <laughs> and he's yeah. basically looking for a shag. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> you know, he actually says that he's for 40 days got one on the left, one on the right, yeah. and another one, another one in the box. I've not... <laughs> and he's got a safe plan. He calls back Buff Bagwell and Rick Steiner a bunch of losers. He challenges Bagwell and Rick Steiner to tag against him and the Giant for the tag team titles. He says to make it interesting, they'll put the titles on the line. Uh, J.J. Dillon then comes out and clarifies what they mean and says that are you suggesting that we put you put you're putting the tag team on the line and then says that if they lose, if Scott and the Giant lose, then Scott will wrestle Rick Steiner after the match. To your point, old man, what, what the show really needs is another match, but it's going to get another match. Unless, and, of course, Scott Steiner and the Giant win. And the way it's presented, you always know that's what's going to happen yeah. as well. I wish that fucking J.J. Dillon came out and explained what Scott Steiner was on about with those boxes and his freaks. <laughs> that have been a much more better use of his time. The other note that I've got in there is that um, I think about halfway through what Scott Steiner is saying, I think he forgets what he said and what he hasn't said because because he says about how he's beaten up Rick Steiner all his life. Goes on to prattle on about something else and then says it again about how he's been beating up Rick Steiner all his life. This was absolute gold when I was watching this. He's so shit. He's so shit, but he's so shit he gets away with it because it's just a train wreck. Where no people are injured. Oh, <laughs> got very very serious though. Where no, no people are injured. I've got I've got a note that says this has to be the break promo. So the dancing continues next because Fit, fin- Fit Finley is up against the dancing fool Alex Wright and his phenomenal dancing manoeuvres. And Tom is giving us a demonstration. I just I only wish you the listener could see it too. Um, it's another short match, just five minutes. This one it ends when Finley misses a shoulder barge in the corner. Then Alex Wright hits a reverse neck breaker for the win. I can't believe my luck. The old man was finally going to get to see Alex Wright. Like, <laughs> Is that I, I just, uh, the, the dance? I love the dance. It's so amazing, and I love the fact that no one in the crowd is able to do it. No, yeah. no one. They tried. No one has a go. They're all doing. They, there's some of them are trying, but they're doing the bushwhackers instead of yeah. Finn, yeah. Uh, instead yeah. of Alex Wright. It's wonderful. I'll, t- I'll tell you who can do the moves though, as we've just seen Tinky. Tommy can bloody do them. Can he ever? He was dancing the shit out of that. That's many 23 an, years of practice, that is. Yes, many an <laughs> evening stood in front of a mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah j- j- just shouting to your wife, look at me, am I doing it right? <laughs> just watching the clip. Like, I think you've got, yeah, your angle's a bit off there. And you're erroneously doing it to disco in for those music. Yeah. Just to make it <laughs> and you're putting on a really offensive German accent as you do it. There's a boring chant about two minutes into this match. Again, the peasants. There's nothing boring about this match. Have you seen Finley's haircut? It's awful. <laughs> it's awful and exciting in equal measure. It's not boring, though. They just beat the shit into each other, don't they? What's not to like? When Alex Wright gets booed, I was a little bit like, come on, guys, you need to like, you need to recognise what you've got in front of you. You've got one of the greats in front of you for dancing. Ah, and he's all right in the ring as well. Not boring. Who's the heel? Yeah, I don't know. And I think this is a classic bit of WCW pay-per-viewage here because I don't know why they do this, but on the undercard, they so often present nothing matches between people that are not doing anything and aren't over. And far be it for me to say this about Adam Bomb, old man, but Raph and Meng, like, who gives a fuck? Like, Alex Wright and Fit Finley, who gives a fuck? Like, it's just, there's literally no reason for these matches to be on thunder let alone flipping hey, one of your biggest on. matches of the year 
Well, it's just, it's just, I do, and they do it all the time. WCW, they always put like nothing matches on their shows. I just don't get it. The the other thing is as well, and not only is it nothing because no one cares about other characters, but the commentary team don't care about them either because all they're doing throughout the entire match is talk about Hogan and Warrior. Yeah. Did you know it was eight years, eight and a half years since they last wrestled? Mm-hmm. And I think That's that, good. I guarantee you, that match is going to be eight and a half times worse than the Finley versus Alex Wright one. <laughs> um, but I, I must admit, it wasn't a bad match, There's, but there wasn't anything to care about in it. But there was one bit that I did quite like where um, Finley uh, kind of does like a slingshot into the ropes and then Alex Wright falls back into almost like some kind of weird upside down Boston crab, which looked like quite a good move. And I like to just see something yeah. I haven't seen before. That was quite good. But Alex Wright wins after a neck breaker and then dances up the aisle, which yeah. I enjoyed. Dance at the aisle, lovely stuff. I, I think wins with a neck breaker is all we need to know about the importance of this match. Yeah. So we won't spend any more time on it. And the dancing almost continues next because we are back at the WCW.com little uh, bar, whatever you want to call it. The internet. What's it called? The internet place. What's internet lounge. Internet, the internet location. And Ernest Miller, Ernest the Cat Miller, is there. Yeah, he Unfortunately, is. he isn't dancing. He is just no. talking. But he could have been. I needed you to clarify something with me, thank you. I is that's not Henry Custard, is it? No, Henry Custard is Norman Smiley. Norman Smiley. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay. Yes, yeah, so there's not a lot to talk about here. Ernest Miller's just talking, and they, he seems to be having a little bit of an argument with Lee Marshall, but about what we don't really know because we don't know anything about him. So we move on to the next match, which is Perry Saturn versus Lodi, and a kind of hangover, I guess, from the match I was talking about earlier on, which was that match where Perry Saturn freed the rest of the flock, but Lodi was not willing to be freed. He didn't want to be freed from the flock. It only lasts for just under four minutes, and Saturn wins with a Death Valley driver. Tom finding something funny <laughs> why don't we go to you so Perry Saturn's wearing a beret and a string waistcoat apparently <laughs> apparently in homage to the army <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was going on in those barracks I wonder <laughs> that guy wore that. it's fucking amazing I was like hello <laughs> he came up with the beret and the, and the string vest on. I was like hello here we go Barkley Spot. string vest yeah that's amazing who the fuck's Lodi and why does he love his sign so much that he keeps going back I was kind of impressed by his desire to go and get the signs and stop the people from yeah. taking them away I thought it was quite amusing but it's it's a pretty nothing match and what I will say is that Perry Saturn's offense is great it's so good it looks so brutal and and it's just different as well like when he does like the leg sweeps and stuff like that it looks really cool but it's what a four minute match it's not really much you can say about it is that apart from the beret and the waistcoat there's not really much else going on here <laughs> no definitely not there's a trio of different types of suplex by saturn at one point Lodi hunt barely gets any offense in and yeah there's not a lot to say but old man good luck i mean Lodi is the wrestler that sammy guevara wishes he was <laughs> Because <laughs> he's he's the original sign guy. Hang on, is this where Love? Do you reckon the person who Richard Curtis saw uh, the sign guy was like, "Hello, got my end for Love Actually." <laughs> yeah, maybe he's too busy being weird, though, wouldn't he, Richard Curtis? I reckon he's weird. He looks weird. <laughs> 
<laughs> old man's prejudice just like coming out now no no reason uh, to think so just looks weird don't like him he does can you argue with me i don't know what he looks like so no no Precisely. weird i'm gonna assume yeah um saturn's a proper hard bastard though isn't he i mean yeah. he'd be the kind of guy that would rip your head off and you wouldn't even know about it um this is short and to the point it's everything it needs to be actually no it's not everything it needs to be because as we just touched upon it doesn't need to be anything but because it is something this is all we wanted. I've just looked up Richard Curtis, and you're right, he does look weird. Thank you. He does. He looks weird. I don't know what it is, but he looks weird. I mean, look, you're right, Perry Saturn is, t- is a tough guy, because only a tough guy can get wearing what he's yeah. wearing. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? So I've just Googled Richard Curtis as well. His face is too small for his head. <laughs> That's See, what it is. This is what I bring. I bring the facts. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You are the Byron Faxton bringer. Yeah. Lodi, the uh, the main thing that Lodi did, the most notable thing Lodi did in his career was he teamed up with Lenny Lane the following year in the West Hollywood Blondes, I believe they were called. Who the fuck and is Lenny Lane? He's another WSW talent. Uh, West Hollywood well, Blondes. I know that much. I want the. I want his old low story, Tinky. Come on. Well, you were the Faxton guy. Come on. Um, uh, hang on. But the, the the thing was is that they were basically they present they portrayed a kind of gay um, tag team, and it was pretty controversial because they were portrayed as wrestling would would portray a gay couple, um, which mm-hmm. was say not particularly favourable. That was the main notable thing that he did. Uh, really in his career so we then get some footage of bagwell preventing scott steiner from hitting his brother rick with a steel chair on thunder or nitro at some point and then bagwell taking off his nwo shirt as if he has left the group that's then, definitely not going to come back and bite him in the ass, I don't reckon. It turns out all you need to do is take your NWA shirt off, and that convinces everyone and their mother that you're no longer a member of the NWA. Well, in, NWA. Fa- well, in fairness, that's how you show everyone that you've joined, is by putting on the T-shirt, so mm. it makes sense. That's I'm going to be honest, you said everyone and your mother would fall for it. My mum wouldn't have fallen for that. She'd have been like, <laughs> he, he's mucking around. I said everyone and their mother, not mine. Oh, that's good. So then we get another dance from the Nitro Girls. The dancing continues. It's a theme throughout the show before we see old Disco Inferno back once again, this time for the Cruiserweight Championship against Billy Kidman in a near 11-minute match. To the tunes of the crowds chanting, Disco sucks, Kidman reverses a pile driver attempt into a face buster, then hits the shooting star press for the pin to retain the belt. Old man, how did you feel Disco fared this time around? Do you want to know what? I got a lot of respect for Disco because he was very much selling his tiredness, which I very much appreciated. You know, he comes down, he's so tired he can barely dance, but he still manages to bust a couple of little hip swivels out to, to, to keep the ladies happy. I mean, um, this is... A nice little, a nice little clash of styles, I thought, because obviously uh, Kidman fast trying to do all this little high flying flippy shit, and old Disco is having a little plod around, moving a bit, a little bit slowly, and it really worked, I thought, because it was a um, in isolation. I don't think it probably would have worked as well, but because I was thinking, well, he's going to be tired, isn't he, old Disco, from having his match, whereas all Kidman's been doing is bloody chatting a. Uh, the man with the moustache. And uh, yeah, I just thought this was enjoyable stuff. And I, I'll be honest, he, even without his dancing, I was impressed with Disco Inferno. He's much, much better than I thought he was before I watched this. To be honest, I don't think I even knew he existed until now. But he might be fourth on the Man Rush Mob, but I don't know who he's replacing yet. Kidman pretty much hits his finish. That's pretty much what he does in this match. But my word, it is spectacular. The old shooting star press, beautiful stuff. 
just good stuff. I'm having a good time here, boys. I um agree with you 100. percent But I was watching it and I was like, Do you know, what? I fucking love a Snickers. <laughs> and at that point, I realised that the fucking Snickers advertising had got me because it sponsored <laughs> the entire thing. So I sat there going, Yeah, I really love a Snickers. And I was thinking about Snickers for quite a lot during this match. I'm mm. not going to lie. But what you said, old man, about it kind of starting off quick and then Disco brings it down and then Kidman picks up the pace again and Disco brings it down. It was really good. I'm talking about great selling of Disco Inferno's offense. Disco Inferno does like a flapjack and like throws older kid lad up in the air and he's flailing around trying to grab something to stop himself yeah. from falling. Brilliant. Lovely stuff. And it was actually this match when I realised that Old Man would definitely be a Disco Inferno guy. And what you said, Old Man, about Billy Kidman's shooting star press is, is, is beautiful. It's perfect. The best shooting star press, I think. Wonderful technique. And it was just a really good match. And I didn't feel like it made Disco Lad look worse for losing to Kid Lad because he'd already been in a match. It all made mm. sense. This bit of the booking surrounding these two matches has been absolutely perfect. I, the only thing I would counter that with is why did they book someone to earn the title shot on the same show that they then get the title shot? It doesn't that strike you as a little unfair on the person who gets the title shot? Well, they didn't have enough matches, did they? They need to fill the card. <laughs> well, so. the Can't is, argue with that. As well, is champion's advantage. Yes. yes which, yeah. admittedly, they don't play on. And I've literally just thought of. But that would have been a nice way to spin it. And just say, just say Kidman's being a bastard. That's what they should have done. He's pinned Ogun three times. He's got too big for his boots. Well, he hadn't done it by this point, I don't think. He just no. He'd, he'd been the one who was the probably the main reason the flock had been split apart because he was part of the flock, and he is now getting the chance to shine for the first time. Uh, I believe Kidman in the next few months goes on to have some belters with Rey Mysterio. They have some really good matches. I thought this was good. I didn't think it was as good as. The, the earlier match, though, strangely, I thought the Hooventude disco match was better than this. I don't know why. I think this, this was a bit longer, only a minute mm. longer, but I think we'd already we'd already seen nearly 10 minutes of disco. And now in total, we've seen 20 minutes of disco in the ring. Yeah, That's a lot of time to see someone, the, the sort of, you know, the the important yeah, disco. Oh, right. Careful, mate. Yeah. My, my boy, disco. <laughs> Sorry, I've already uh, I've already insulted Adam Rathbomb. Uh, and now I'm, you know, starting on old Disco Inferno. But yeah, you know, I just think um, it was OK. It was fine. It just was a bit. I just didn't really feel like there was much story. There wasn't much that linked it all together. It was perfectly decent, but nothing mm. to shout about. And uh, it didn't I, really leave much of an impression on me. Yeah, I do think my enthusiasm was probably uh, enhanced by the two little short matches that we'd have beforehand. It's also... You know, I feel like the first match, the fans aren't, aren't that interested in Juventud. Although one thing we didn't mention, Juventud Guerrero's music is incredible. Mm. Um, yeah. But they're not that into him. And Disco, therefore, there's a lot of people in the crowd dancing along with Disco Inferno. Yeah, there are. This one, Kidman's a bit more popular. And so they're not really dancing as much with Disco Inferno. And of course, they already heard his music twice. This would be the third time they'd heard it in, a, in less than an hour. Well, you, the, the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have him a third time potentially burn this disco out, do you? <laughs> that is off the wall, Tom. Hey. <laughs> right. All right, Ben. <laughs> god this is where we're going now is it first of all this will last forever and secondly ben is not on that album man all right so uh, yeah i mean let's be honest old man old man don't stop till he gets enough <laughs> these puns let's <laughs> see 
Oh, God. Right. I think at that point, it's a good time to take a break so that we don't end up going on uh, a, a very long Michael Jackson pun fest. Um, and we'll come back. And on the other side of the, of the break, we will have all of the big matches on Halloween Havoc 1998. You know, I'm standing here in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the town that never sleeps. But you see, I've been going for 30 days and 30 nights with a freak on my left, a freak on my right, and one in a box. So being in Las Vegas is a night off for me. So I'm just here to tell you, Big Papa Pump is in town, and he's ready to pound. So this goes to all you freaks out there. Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Now, I just heard that sniveling, crying little mama's boy, Marcus Buff Bagwell, come out here and say he wants to be behind my brother's back, someone I've beat up my whole life. Now, Marcus, I knocked you down in Chicago in front of your mother, and I beat my brother up all my life, so you guys are a bunch of losers. But if you want to make this match interesting, why don't you tag up with my brother? And I'm going to tag up the man with the largest arms in the world. We'll tag up with the largest human being in the world, the giant. And to make this match interesting, because the NWO does whatever they want. We'll wrestle you for the world tag team titles. Okay, welcome back. So as I said, we've got the big matches left. And I think, you know, we're, we're recording quite late. It's after work as well on a weekday. So we're going to need to keep the energy levels going. So uh, let's see what we, we do here. It starts... Who's of the stickers, mate? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Um, we start with the WWE Tag Team title match, which is Scott Steiner and the Giant defending against Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. And lo and behold, halfway through the match, Buff Bagwell exposes the ruse because as uh, he is just no. about to be tagged in, he attacks Rick Steiner no, from behind. And then, no, Rick. and then abandons his tag team partner, leaving him for the Giant and Scott Steiner. However, Rick Steiner rallies and then ends up hitting a Bulldog from the top rope on the Giant and pinning him to win the tag team titles. I don't know what happened after this in terms of uh, who he ended up becoming a tag team champion with, but that was the match. Oh man, your thoughts on this one? The Giant is smoking. <laughs> As he comes to the, the way ring. down to the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Which... I don't think anything, having heard him talk about his time in WCW or Paul Wigger, I don't think anything sums it up better than that. Because he finishes that cigarette as well. He's not smoking for for effect. He's like, I want to get every little bit of this out. The commentators ignore it as well. So I'm guessing it's probably not something that he was supposed to be doing. (laughs) No, I think they ignore it because he was doing it all the time. Yeah, was he? Puffing on a little... On a little cigarette, dirty little bugger. I thought Rick Steiner's jacket was bad. His in-ring garb, he's also dressed 
as a tribute to the army by the looks of it because he looks like he's dressed for S&M. He just really, he really wants to get his bloody ass whipped. The Bagwell turn is the highlight of this match. It's predictable. We all know it's coming. But it's Buff Bagwell because he does it and then he runs off. The beatdown on old Ricky Rick, right? So I didn't know this match was eight minutes until you just said it's eight minutes. I thought this went on for about 15 because the beatdown goes on so long. It's so it's so boring. I know he's going to win because you've set the, the stipulation that he's going to fight Scott. So you know he's going to win. And then he beats the giant, the giant, seven foot four, 400 pounds, beating off a bulldog. Pathetic. Not good. Not good, this. I can't be honest. I was worried this was the turn. I was worried the pay-per-view had gone heel on me. I, I like the fact that in the build-up to that, to the Bulldog, is the Giants going for a pretty impressive drop kick off the top rope. But what I quite like is that he's very cautious as a Giant. He wipes <laughs> the top rope, the top turnbuckle, because presumably it's sweaty. He doesn't want to slip on it, which just makes perfect sense. But it's something I've never seen before. <laughs> and then, my God, he struggles getting up there and staying up there, which, again, considering a man of his size, I anybody, you know, I, it blows my mind the ease in which I think it looks, I think people make it look deceptively easy how they get up to the top rope. I bet it's a fucking real difficult thing to do. But it just looks really funny. And he kind of tries it about three or four times. He looks like I would do if I was trying to jump across a particularly big puddle. Do you know what I mean? I'm just there like, <laughs> oh, do I go now? I don't quite know what to do. What am I doing? And I enjoyed that a lot. The crowd are really into the bits of the match that Rick and Scott are facing off with each other. And after the um, Buff Bagwell heel turn, they started talking about Buff Bagwell's mum, Judy, quite a lot, which we all know from the Judy Bagwell on a pole match. But they're like, they keep talking about how nice she is. Almost as nice as as Scott Steiner's body, which Mike Tenay says Scott's got a lovely body. <laughs> <laughs> tricks me laugh as well it's good good stuff um but yeah the match isn't very good and as you said old man the ending's so telegraphed because of the uh because of the stipulation at the end of it you know you're going to get a rick versus scott match afterwards so it could have been a bit quicker to get us to that point but it happened oh what i will say actually rick steiner sells his bollocks for ages which i which <laughs> i had a lot of time for because you know quite often they don't so he does. He's properly selling it for about two or three minutes, which, let's be honest, it fucking hurts getting it in the nuts. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I thought this was OK. And I wasn't as uh, kind of I didn't feel like it was quite as telegraphed as you did um, in terms of the end of the match, because and again, I think this is probably because I knew the context that I was talking about earlier on, mm. which is that this match had just simply not happened for so long. They kept either put off or it kept being put off out of their control for such a long time that I thought, actually, this might be just their way of just extending that a little bit further mm. to another pay-per-view. And to be honest, when he was when you're talking about Rick Steiner in there against both the Giant and Scott Steiner, I was a bit like, can he win this match? Like they're these aren't nothing. <laughs> you know, the Giant was is one of the few homegrown stars that they've created in this company. And obviously, Scott Steiner, they've got a lot of plans for as well. So I was quite surprised that they would book it so that Rick Steiner would beat them both on his own. But I guess it was relatively um, predictable in that respect. I think that this was okay, but I think, and obviously we get the Rick Steiner-Scott Steiner match straight after this. I think as a whole, these two matches, either, either match is only okay and perhaps a little bit below average. But as a whole, I actually really quite enjoyed this 
overall mm. bit mm. with the two matches. And um, so and so Rick Steiner overcoming the odds in this match was surprising, but then that he overcomes the odds in the second match against yeah. Scott Steiner in the singles match was extra specially surprising. So that is a five mm. minute match, and it has all kinds of um, all kinds of inter- interruptions. We get old Vincent come down. We get others. I can't even remember who else. I think Stevie Ray's down at one point. Um, and then also we get somebody in a Bill Clinton mask turn up, yeah. which, at first, which at first I thought might be a Vince McMahon mask. But then I realized it yeah. wasn't it was a Bill Clinton mask. And uh, it turns out the last Buff Bagwell, who's attacked Rick Steiner again. But Rick Steiner just kicks out of everything and ends up hitting both Buff and Scott Steiner with a double clothesline and then hitting a bulldog from the top on Steiner. And Nick Patrick then ran in to make the count for the victory for Rick after the other referee had previously been knocked down. And yeah, as I said, I thought I didn't think this match was great either. And I didn't think the tag team match was great. But altogether, I thought this was quite a good way to pay off what had been a really long feud and had been Mm. off time and again. And they'd kind of made Rick Steiner look a bit stupid all the way through. Obviously, the number of times Buff Bagwell managed to con him. (laughs) You know, they'd add him on Nitro as well, where Buff Bagwell had come out on the wheelchair, to your point, Tom, earlier on. And um, I think that Scott Steiner had pushed him or something over and it was kind of, oh, my God, I can't believe Scott Steiner did that. And then the two of them attacked Rick Steiner again. So it was was just it's been constant. (laughs) It's been absolutely constant. And then they but then they gave him this really strong victory against practically the whole of the NWO. So I thought it was quite a good way to pay it all off. Tom, your thoughts on the second match? Yeah, it was pretty good. I like the fact that, you know, the giant just fucks off. After their match, <laughs> don't don't hang yeah. around afterwards. He tries to get involved at the beginning, something happens and he fucks off. Um, the crowd are really into it, and Rick Steiner does do a great suplex, which obviously you know um Scott Steiner like sells it, you know does his part of it. There was a bit after the ref bump, which luckily again I'm thinking to myself, sure that's the only ref bump we're going to see in this match in this pay per view. Um, but Bagwell after after he's uh, taken his Bill Clinton mask off, which fair play to him, he's ran out and got changed pretty quickly and ran around the arena and, and yeah. the arena and come from a different side. So he must have been pretty out of puff at that point. Picks up Charles Robinson just like by his belt and just like yeah. throws him out of the ring. It's fucking brutal. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like again, this the, the match. If you just to sit down and be like, I'm gonna watch this isolated match, you'd be like, this is a bit shit. But in context with everything else, it's actually all right. And I I quite quite enjoyed the end of it. And it's nice. Again, it's good to see the right person win. Do you know what I mean? Which doesn't always happen. And that, that did happen, especially during this time. The NWO constantly were getting, especially like probably about a year or so before, the NWO were constantly doing everything and winning everything and making everyone else downtrodden. And it was good that, that yeah, the right person won in this instance. Incidentally, I had a little look just now and Rick Steiner chose someone whose name escapes me, <laughs> who I've never thought, who I've never heard of, to be his tag team partner. His tag team partner... If Someone... I want this for Inferno or Wrath, he's fucked himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, I'll be honest, mate. He has fucked himself. Um, he, fuck me. Kenny Chaos became right. his tag partner. And I don't know who that is. Just some guy who was one of the um, power plant graduates. Was, was that Chaos with a K? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Um, so. And his partner in a tag team called High Voltage, which I believe was what uh, Coco Beware and... Owen Hart record, were they? High, no, high, high, high energy. energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, was another wrestler called Robbie Rage. So they're, oh. they're a big fan of, uh, you know, alliteration. Yeah. 
I, you know what? I completely agree with both of you. I thought I like the fact that Rick Steiner just keeps kicking out of everything. I just like that because it said so the match is only five minutes. This second match, if it had gone ten minutes, he keeps kicking out of everything. I'd have got bored shitless. But you've got all the shenanigans going on. Buff Bagwell, you boys said then it's impressive that he's gone back, got changed. Why has he put a suit on and a Bill Clinton mask? I think it is to try and look like Vince McMahon. I, I really think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. I don't I, know why. I think so as well, but it doesn't make any sense. No. Because, <laughs> but, but it's Buff Bagwell, isn't it? It's old Bagos. He's, he's one of the greats. So. <laughs> is this I your sixth one. man lining up for the old? Yeah, you know, I, think, I think so. You know what? Um, yeah, I can't really add a lot, to be honest. Enjoyed it. Glad Ricky won. I'm hoping this is the last of the SNM wear that we're going to see. This is a bit sexy, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I like. I also like the fact that we've seen even as far back as 1989, the Rick Stein is really over with the fans, and he's still really over here. He's st- mm. and you're like in the in the intervening period, he's been to Japan and been to WWF and back to Japan and then come back to WCW, and he's still over even though he's been made mm. to look a complete fool all year by bagwell and scott steiner still over and i just thought he deserves this but at the same time i was kind of like but what did you follow up with he chooses yeah. kenny chaos to be his tag team player mm. and i can honestly like as somebody who maybe hasn't seen huge amounts of the television and what was going on at the time but having read about it in depth all the like constantly through this period i can't think of anything rick steiner does for the rest of his wcw career other than turn heel himself and join scott steiner later on so like you're just like why haven't you you can see he's really over you've just given him a big big victory where's the push there's got to now be a push to follow this up with and and start to make something of him even though he's obviously very experienced and quite late in his career still look at him he's over also one quick note on uh virgil and Stevie Ray and another lad comes down. It's the worst running in the history of runnings <laughs> because he literally punches them off the side and they're like, well, fuck this. We're scarfing back to the back. So what's happened, lads? Come down with your bloody bollocks out. He punches you in the face and you're done. Pathetic. If they came down with their bollocks out, then you're definitely, you're right. It was pointless. He should have been punching them, not punch him in the face. Yeah. There is that great picture of Virgil, isn't there, that was doing the rounds a few months ago of him like signing something with his bollocks out. I oh, like, didn't see that one. Yeah, his, his flies are open and you can just see his bollocks. There we go. I'm oh, Googling lovely. that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no no follow-up, but a good, a good little match. Next, we get the video package hyping Kevin Nash versus Scott Hall. Um, it includes <laughs> Hall. I've just seen the picture. It's not, it's, he's not even signing something. He's just sat there and he's just... Where he just got a really weird expression on his face, and and, yeah, and there's a little chap popping out of his shorts. <laughs> Very weird. So next we get the video package hyping Kevin Nash versus Scott Hall. It includes Hall turning on Nash at Slamboree earlier in the year. It also includes elements of them drawing on Hall's drinking problems. Now this, much like the Rick Steiner Scott Steiner match, had been going on for a month. Slamboree is back in May. This is in October. They haven't had a match yet between the two. And Scott Hall had to go um, be off screen for a while because of his personal demons that they have actually made some light of during this storyline. And so that's why this is the first match between the two former outsiders um, and why we're now such a long time after the original turn. Any thoughts on the video package? 
I didn't think it was very good. And I also noted that uh, Kevin Nash is doing a sad Jerry Lawler voice. <laughs> just having a drink. He's just, just, I don't know. He's just having, he's just having a drink, and I thought we were friends, and and then you know, he's drinking a lot, and, and you know. You know what's a shame, Tom, is he didn't break into a sudden burst of of anger like he did in his <laughs> WWF career. What, what promo is that? I can't. I've been thinking about that quite a lot because he he's when he's Diesel, isn't it? And he's he's yeah. doing this promo and he clearly forgets what he's doing about halfway through and just all of a sudden out of nowhere just raises the intensity, doesn't he? Yeah, he's sort of like. Um, so yeah, we're going into this match, and uh, you know, I'm I'm going to beat you. I'm going to I'm going to win the match. And uh, what you wanted something? And then he just goes <laughs> into zero like, to sixty. Hang on, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? And I was I was just a bit disappointed he didn't do it during this. Yeah. Just a very long, boring video, I thought, because uh, they could wrap this up in thirty seconds. But now you've given me some context, Tinky. And this has been going on for five months. But they've got no, they've got no footage because Hall's been away from television really yeah. for most of the time. So it's, it's just taken them a long time to get here. The match itself, Kevin Nash versus Scott Hall, it, uh, it goes for 14 minutes, and it ends that when after Nash hits a couple of jackknife power bombs, he then crotch chop, chops him and then leaves the ring and gets counted out, which gives Scott Hall. The victory. I should also point out that at the beginning of the match, or before the match, sorry, Scott Hall comes to the ring acting as if he is drunk and carrying mm. a glass. So that first bit, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know about that. But when he lobs that drink in Kevin Nash's face, and then he realised that he's mostly sober, they're like, go on, lad. Go on, lad. You bloody got him, didn't you? They, WCW, are just trying to help him. They're trying to get him out. They're trying to sort his life out as the... Uh, commentators are at pains to point out as they still think he's drunk and then they're like nah it was a bloody nah it was a fate uh there is a lovely shot i think it's uh scott hall drives kevin nash into what's described by the commentators as the top of the safety rail to the right of the ring that's tony Schiavone being very very functional which i enjoyed <laughs> because it was very uh very out of keeping um there's a bit of a weird part in this because suddenly they're kind of going back and forth. Well, Scotty, Scotty H is working over Nash a little bit and suddenly Kevin Nash is almost dead. He's selling like he's been run over by a truck three times. Well, all he's really had is a couple of punches and a couple of kicks. But I thought this was OK overall. I love Scott Hall's punches. I hate, I hate Kevin Nash. I don't like his power bomb. His power bomb looks like he's going to murder someone mm. like, every time he does it. But I loved the finish. I absolutely loved that. And through the whole match, no one goes for a pin mm. because it's not about that. And I absolutely loved that. It made complete sense to me. And in truth, I think I knew they were going to get like 15, 20 minutes. I, anticipating 20 minutes i think this is about as good as i was expecting and that's no bad thing to be fair to that and they work their socks off to try and make it something not bad yeah it's it's hard to disagree with anything you said there mate um i, I it was nice to hear the wolfpack music 
I just quite like the Wolfpack music. And a little bit of little bit of trivia. I don't know if this will be as good as one of the Byron Faxons of the week. Probably won't be. But um, the uh, the rapping in the Wolfpack music was done by a rapper called C Murder, who was part of the uh, No Limit Soldiers. And uh, he's in prison. What do you think he's in prison for? Tax evasion. No, murder. It's in his name. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin Nash appears to start bleeding quite early at one point, And yeah. Scott Hall does a promo halfway through the match while some men tenderly wipe him down with a towel. Which was uh, which looked, it looked like he was at least comfortable while that was going on. The um, crowd are a bit split in this match as well, I think. Mm. Um, but one of my favourite things in their match is uh, Kevin Nash's talking in the match, where he's like, yeah. "You want a drink?" And then he knees him in the corner, and he's like, "How about a double?" <laughs> Two knees in the corner. It's so fucking stupid. I liked it though. He keeps referring to his knee strikes as drinks. Go on, lad. Mike Tanay goes uh, before the match ends. He goes, this has been one for the ages. Mm, I'm not sure about that, Mike. <laughs> I think that might be a bit of hyperbole. Uh, mm, mm, yeah. Instant um, classic. Yeah, it is one of those. You're like, really? Come on, mate. That's an awful show. I, I know that you're the professor and you you know your thing, but you can't take it seriously. And I did wonder to myself, like, this is not in any way, shape or form a technical match. Like you said, all my kicks and punches, knees to the stomach, and then an awful powerbomb. And I do wonder what Mike Tanay's thinking there, knowing how much of a stiffy he gets for luchador matches and all yeah. this technical wrestling sat there watching these two fucking oafs <laughs> clown right in the ring. <laughs> 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 but further to old man's point, it's as good as it could possibly be. And I really liked the fact that there were no real pinfall attempts of note and the way in which the match ends, because this is a very personal personal thing. It's not about wrestling. Kevin Ash just wants to beat up Scott Hall, and he does it, and then walks out. And I thought that was all right, to be fair. I hadn't thought about the ending uh, very much until you talked about it then, because I don't know why I, did, I didn't dislike it, but I just hadn't thought about what my opinion was until you both said about it. And I think, actually, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think it is a good ending, because it not only not about just about the match it's a personal thing but it's also i think much to the point that the commentators make actually in fairness to them which is that he's sending a message to scott hall which is i can beat you but i don't need to i'm still going to let you win because you're still my best mate if you like but just just so you know i can beat you and i think also and i may be giving them too much credit here but i think also this might be their way of building to what i was talking about earlier on about the sort of the reuniting of the nwo into an elite group again because kevin nash and scott hall become part of that and he scott hall helps kevin nash win the world title at starcade in it later in the year which only a couple of months after this so I've got a feeling that this is the start of them moving towards that. And this is if that's the case, and this is actually quite an important step on that road mm. to, to getting there. So, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I have seen a better match between these two, though, which is uh, SummerSlam 94, because Razor mm. and Diesel is a quality little match for the Continental title. The reason that there's a, a mixed reception, I think, is because Scott Hall is genuinely a very popular wrestler amongst the mm. crowd amongst fans i think people just like him i think he when he grabs the microphone and does the hey yo like there's just great mm. like pop for it that people are just like yeah go on and i and i just think he's a likable guy i just think he's a really likable wrestler underrated in terms of his popularity underrated in terms of his quality in the ring just generally overlooked i think by by lots of people so this was yeah this is decent it wasn't by any means great wasn't a match i'll probably go back to but it was definitely a, a notch above what i was expecting from these two um so yeah happy with this 
So next up, we get another dance by the Nitro Girls. And then after that, it's the match for the United States Heavyweight Championship between Bret Hart and Sting. Oh, uh, I got it. I got this one covered, mate. Don't you worry. So the match goes like this. Bret Hart realizes that he's got something in his trousers, which he gets out. And as he goes to show Sting, Sting steals them from him. And the referee heroically stops Bret Hart from getting hit with some brass knuckles. Sting then, later on, in a cowardly move, elbows the referee. And then Bret Hart goes to check on him and falls down and accidentally lands on the referee's head. Bret Hart then goes to give Sting back his baseball bat and trips and accidentally <laughs> hits him. And in a very charitable effort, tries to wake up the referee. And then when the referee does, he says, the match is pretty much over, but let's make sure of it. Bret puts in the sharpshooter, Sting taps out. <laughs> That's how the match ends. Your thoughts, please. Well, it's, 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 it's as if Bobby Heenan, who evidently wasn't really present for his job here, was has finally been the role has been filled by you, Tom, because that is the kind of explanation I would expect from the brain. But we don't get it in this show. So, yeah, lovely stuff. Yeah, well, you've, you've taken my job. That's perfect. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll leave you to it. Right. First of all, let's get serious. Brothers music's fucking awful in WCW. Yeah. And if they're going to pipe over, break the walls down for Jericho, why are they not doing it with Brett? Well, I don't know if this is just about, I think this is about copyright. Because you also know in that open match, Chris Jericho and Raven, Raven's music is also piped in. And you know why that is, because Raven's music was a was a was basically a ripoff of, I think, Come As You Are by Nirvana. Mm, yes. So that is why his music is uh, piped over with his WWE theme and Chris Jericho's as well. I don't know what Chris Jericho's was, but presumably... They just don't have the copyright to it. They did have the copyright to this dirge, though. I think Jericho's music went Jericho, 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 Jericho. I think that was it. What was that supposed to be a ripoff of? Was that just an original? No, it's an original, mate. Oh, beautiful, mate. You should write them more <laughs> often. Well, it wasn't an original. It was Jericho's theme music in WCW. Right, yeah. Well, no, what I mean... was it? I got, I've got no idea. If it was, I'd be pretty blown away. And we'll, and we'll also have to apologise for stealing the yeah. copyright to that music. Yeah, that's true. Bret Hart takes an absolute age to come out down to the ring, um, oh. which is something I've noticed from on a couple of other people as well. And I don't know if it's down to the music starting and, and you know, the, the directors wanting to build the anticipation for the person coming out, or it's just terribly timed. I'm going to go towards the latter, I think. And that is just the organisations all over the place. And let's be honest, he looks fucking happy to be there. Oh, Brett, <laughs> he looks real happy to be there. Um, the match again takes it takes an absolute age to start as well. Sting sharpshooter is awful. It's disgusting. I, I threw up in my mouth watching it. All the good stuff happens, and then at the end of the match, when Brett Brett wins, uh, his music's different and it sounds like a Ramstein song. And then Sting gets stretched off the prick. And there we go. That's my thoughts on the match. And that and that getting stretched off takes a good ten minutes. I mean, it's fucking wow. long. It's, this is about the same length of time it took them to stretch out Buff Bagwell on that previous show I was talking about. It's a similar length of time. Poor medical professionals. Yeah. So I'll give you my thoughts on the match, shall I? Because I don't know if Brett, um, sorry, Brett. I don't know if Tom has committed there to 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 how he feels about the nah. match. Really, it's more just I hate Sting and I'm <laughs> not willing to speak ill of Bret Hart, but. <laughs> This isn't very good at all. This isn't very good at all. I found this really, really boring. And I don't, I'm not going to put the blame just on Sting. I think Brower has as much to blame for that as anybody. He's clearly not motivated, as you said, Tom, when he comes out. You can tell he doesn't want to be there for a single second. And also, I think, 
and maybe he did it during the last year of his WWF run, so maybe this is wrong, but he's wearing just shades. He's not wearing mm, Bret Hart yeah. glasses. He's wearing just shades, and you're just like, come on, Bret. What's going on, mate? <laughs> but he's a heel. Uh, to be fair, he's a heel at this point. He can't be giving his glasses out to any Tom, Dick, and Harry in the crowd, can he? I suppose not. I suppose not. But yeah, I just it was just pedestrian. It was dull. It was regardless of what anyone thinks of Sting, this is not the Bret Hart Sting match that presumably in the build up to this was supposed to be a bit of a dream match. Bret Hart versus Sting would be one of those matches you're like, oh, you know, what a chance for WWE to put on a really big marquee match between two guys and. Oh, it's just a wet fart, isn't it? It's, just, <laughs> it's not very good. 15 minutes of, of really quite nothingness. I mean, I'm probably being harsh. It isn't bad, but it's Bret Hart in a match that's instantly forgettable, which is not, mm. you can't see that very often. No, also his offense still looks good, but there's no, yeah, there's no rhyme nor reason for anything to happen in the match. Is there? There's no real story other than the fact that Bret cheats a lot. <laughs> you know it doesn't really work and i don't think he's one of those people that i don't think ever is gonna this is the first time i've ever seen him wrestle as a true heel you know the stuff in 97 that the canada you know the america versus canada thing he's still got baby face elements to to his character obviously but in this he's just pure heel and i just don't feel like it works and i don't think he really knows how to work it either well, well i think it's just a question of being motivated so i think in again in 97 he felt like there was a part of being a heel that he could tune into a justification if you will for him mm. to dislike the fans in america whereas here he's just being a heel he's not given himself a reason to be a heel i remember when we talked about clash of the champions 20 i think it was and i was saying about how mick foley isn't great at that moment because ordinarily when he turns heel or becomes a heel he gives himself a reason like he, yeah. he finds the motivation for the character to do that the same is true here of brett like he just it, he has just given up trying to think about why he would do this and is just doing what he's told because he's picking up a paycheck and that's really all he cares about his interest in wrestling is gone effectively as a consequence of what took place at the montreal screw job and um it really shows during this match it also shows with the commentators as well because uh bobby heenan i'm half convinced he's not watching because Bret Hart's been dominating Sting for about four or five minutes. And Bobby Heenan hadn't said anything for a few minutes. Then he just goes, oh, it's a great back and forth match. And I was like, what are you watching, mate? Silly old sod. I can't really go against what any of you boys have said. I just wrote that it's a real waste. Because I was looking forward to see if I Tinky monikered him, the WCW Bret Hart <laughs> in Sting could hang with Bret Hart. He can't. Well, he can, he can on this evidence. On this evidence, he can. <laughs> I don't think he can. He's not up to it, mate. He's not up to a Bret Hart who looks like he'd rather be eating razor blades than be there. Just slowly, one at a time. Num, 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 num. Lovely old job. Not good. Stretcher job, as you said. Takes ages. Stupid ass. Can't even get on a bloody stretcher. And uh, the stretcher is at a weird angle. Is at a slanted angle. And I was like, what's going on there? But he does go, Aah! A couple of times during the match, so not all bad. What a <laughs> bloody waste. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still not willing to even... I will place half the blame on each of these guys equally. I just think it's just... That's because you're mean. <laughs> not sure how that works. <laughs> but um, it's just, yeah, it's just not very good, is it? It's just not very good. No. I, I'll be honest, I'm glad you boys have both said that, because when I was watching it, I was like, fuck me. This is what I thought scotty h and kevin n would be 
I tell you what, as well, is kind of strange about this match is, is that the referee goes down. It's Billy Silverman who's the referee. And he's down in the middle of the ring. And he doesn't do what normally would happen with the referee, where they kind of slowly roll to, a, to the side, mm-hmm. so they're out of the way. He just stays led in the middle of the ring. And they then do a superplex and basically land on his legs. And I'm like, flipping, he's going to break his legs here. It's ridiculous. I'm like, what are they doing? Why is it, why is it so shit? Like, why are they doing this? It makes no sense. You'd have thought that they wouldn't even try to go for the superplex, knowing that this referee is just prone in the middle of the ring yeah. and not moving. He's not doing nothing. He's just uh, he's laying still. It's almost like he, he legitimately got knocked out. I, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this, so forgive me if I get. Sting's got a goatee. Yeah, yeah, filthy. And they comment on it. And it's like, he's made an effort to do this. That's the most effort you fucking put in all night. Bloody shithouse dragging Bret Hart down to his level. Disgusting. There's one other thing I wanted to talk about as well, actually, here, which is about Sting. And the fact that he is, at this point, in the NWO. He's in the NWO Wolfpack with Kevin Nash. And I'm a big fan of the splitting the NWO in two. Mm. I like the idea of it. I thought it was a good good shout i hate the fact that sting's in it sting yeah. is supposed to be the anti-nwo regardless of whether you've got a babyface group of nwo people or not sting still shouldn't be part of that nwo nwo whites mate sorry he <laughs> sorry. <laughs> just shouldn't be it doesn't make any sense he just had like a whole 18 months building up to his big match where he's trying to get rid of the nwo and hulk hogan and then he goes and enjoys one section of it later on it's just stupid and the only time he should have grown a goatee is if he went here True. Or in case he was becoming a Tom Jones cover artist. Yes. <laughs> Just him going. <laughs> okay, well, we've waited. We've put it off for long enough, but it is time for the rematch we've waited eight years for. The... Eight and a half, mate. Sorry, okay. eight and a half. Don't yeah, want to I was in front of me telly every night waiting for that. <laughs> it's Hulk Hogan against the Warrior, not the Ultimate Warrior. It's just the Warrior for trademark purposes. This is the Warrior here against Hulk Hogan, and it is a 14-minute match, and it ends when Warrior everyone kills themselves. <laughs> where do I where do I start with this? Because it is where do I? It's got to be the Fireball. All right, so I'll start with the fireball. So there's a bit where <laughs> Hulk Hogan tries to light up a fireball and throw it in Warrior's face, which I believe is supposed to be the end of the match. But Hogan fucks it right up. The, bo- the fireball goes in his own face and he singes parts of his beard and his <laughs> eyebrows um, in the process. So they have to come up with a different match ending on the fly. And that match ending is that Eric Bischoff comes to the ring and distracts the ref where whilst Horace, who we've previously discussed, had been attacked by Hogan previously, hits the warrior with a steel chair and then Hogan pins the warrior. After the match, Hogan tells Horace that he passed the test. Horace then pours lighter fluid on the warrior. But before Hogan can light a match, Doug Dellinger, the head of security and his security team, stop them. Uh, and then that's the end of it. Yeah. Tom, you, you want to go. Go on. Off you go. So, first off, it's the goat match of tans, isn't it? <laughs> this is probably the best tan match I think we've ever seen, because both of their tans are phenomenal. I'm not going to lie. I still find Hollywood Hogan to be really cool until the match starts. I was quite, I was quite enjoyed. I don't know why I watch it. I think, yeah, yeah, it's fucking cool. 
the match in itself is so bad. The Warriors already at a puff before the match starts. He's already knackered and blown out of his ass. I don't mind the beginning of the match, actually. It kind of just starts off with Hogan doing his Healy stuff and then Warrior just selling it and just being generally mad and not really doing anything. And it's not good, but I'm thinking to myself, this isn't as bad as I think it's going to be. And then it all really goes to shit when the NWO come down, or three members of the NWO, Stevie Ray, the Giant, and Vincent. And it's the shittest run-in I've ever seen. <laughs> Further to your point earlier, old man. It's one punch to Vincent, I think. It scares all of them off. Yeah. There is a really, really long test of strength in this match an obscenely long test uh, test of strength and which further again further to your point old man how everyone in the crowd hasn't killed themselves at this point is Mm. beyond me because it's so bad then you get the referee gets knocked out and hogan hits the referee to make sure he's down i feel like i've seen this before (laughs) oh yeah that happened in the last match quite literally (laughs) they do the same thing that he did in the previous match Whilst the referee's out, the warrior tries to pin Hulk Hogan and starts counting himself. Yeah. Which makes no sense at all. Then Hogan does the really shit tra- magic trick, which the referee, which the referees, which the comms try their best to pass off as a fireball. And then there's all that mess at the end with Bischoff and, and Horace. And again, I've seen another angle in this pay-per-view in which someone who is not in the NWO is actually secretly in the NWO. And you're like, well, in this match, we've had two of the exact same spots from previous matches happen, and it's just shit. Now, what I will say, it's fair play to that old guy who saves the warrior, because I'll be honest, he he, he stands them both down. I'm like, what are you doing? It's just this old bloke comes out and don't set him on fire. And Horace Hogan's like, all right, Fair enough. And then you just walk <laughs> off. So, oh, all right. Fair. You obviously weren't that committed to it. It yeah. is a really shit match. It's really shit. I think I've seen worse, though. Mm. You know, it's 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 fucking bad. But I was expecting it to be even worse than it was. And it was pretty shit. But it wasn't as shit as I was expecting it to be. Let weirdly. me ask you a challenging question, Tom. Ooh. It's a shit match. Did you enjoy it more than Undertaker versus Kane that we watched last week? Yeah. I thought you might have done. I did. Yeah. I can't be honest. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I'll be honest, like I, I was watching, I was thinking of matches that are worse. The one that always sticks out, and I've mentioned this a few times, Triple H versus Kevin Ash and Hell in a Cell is, I think, the worst match I think I've ever seen because it's so long. 15 minutes is a long time for mm. Hulk Hogan versus Ultimate Warrior. Way past, well, Hogan's way past his prime. I'm not sure the Warrior ever had one. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's a grim ask to try and get people to sit there for 15 minutes. But at the end of the match, when Hogan wins and Horace hits Hogan with the hits Warrior with the chair, there's a pop, and I think the crowd are thinking, yeah. "Yay, it's finished!" Yeah. Um. So it's it's a really shit match, but I've, as I said, I've seen worse, and I've enjoyed matches much less than that. It's Hulk Hogan and the Warrior. She said Hogan years past his prime. Warrior never had a prime, and they don't have Pat Patterson to to lay out the entire match beforehand no. and go through it with them for weeks to make sure they know exactly what they're doing. So it's never going to be great. That being said, the ending, considering they had to think on their feet because Hogan fucked the ending, it's not bad. Do you know what I mean? Considering it was all completely done on the fly, it's I don't know if what if, if Horace was going to have some kind of involvement in it anyway. But to, to quickly turn that around is is reasonably impressive. It made me wonder whether they had a backup plan in place because they were dealing with a fireball and they weren't certainly mm. be able to do it properly mm. anyway. If you imagine it's not a fireball, it's just a ball. The fact that you've got to throw the ball there, it's got to hit someone, is already 
something that's slightly out of your control that's not necessarily definitely going to happen but then you add the element of fire and you're just a bit like there's a chance this might not work so let's just have a backup just in case and Hogan's a bit old and doddery at this point in there. Like, yeah. fucking, have you seen him try? Seen him try and fucking feed himself at this point? It's an absolute state. <laughs> to your point, Tiki, when you were saying like, is this better than Kane and Undertaker from last week? It is because these guys aren't trying to do anything. It's just a series of punches and kicks, and there's a bit of choking from Hogan, obviously, because he bloody loves it. What I find absolutely astonishing is that Ultimate Warrior cannot punch on time i don't quite know how he keeps doing it i don't know whether hogan's purposely doing it but every punch is just about half a second off so it looks bloody awful but it's going to be awful this is a guy who's not had a proper match for bloody hell i don't even know how long to be honest gotta be what six seven years well he had the shortest in in wwf in 96 didn't he yeah but those weren't proper matches were they those were like little burial jobs like this is He's trying to get fit 40 minutes with a doddery old Hogan. He had, he had an absolute epic with Jerry the King Lawler. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he wore a baseball cap at the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I can't really add a lot to what you boys have said. It's crap. It's really, really, really crap. Bordering horrendous. But what the fuck are you expecting? What were they? What I did find when I was watching this, and I think this is why it's hated so much by everyone is that everyone got sucked in to Hogan Warrior again. Yeah, Hogan Warrior again, eight and a half years afterwards. Hogan's been the top dog in wrestling for pretty much all of that time. And Warrior, who got a notorious ego, is coming in. To use the analogy, two big, massive bollock egos, this is, just bashing against each other. And it ain't ever going to work, is it? Like, Hogan's got previous, he's got, stuff after this where it just doesn't work but you know what it's 14 minutes i was expecting this to go 25 minutes and to be for them to actually try stuff the main weak point is the chair shot at the end it's pathetic but it's also horace hogan not wanting to wallop the warrior because the warrior would have probably murdered him it's been described as like the worst match in the history of wrestling it's even fucking close Jericho so, Dean Ambrose is worse than this. <laughs> Genuinely, significantly worse than this, because this is not two guys going through the motions. This is two guys incapable of having a good match. And there's a big difference when people are at least semi-trying. I do think Warrior, once he gets tired, which is about four minutes in, I think he looks like he's not really trying, but they've still got egos. They're going to still try and do something. Do you reckon there'll be a third? Just Hogan <laughs> with his corpse? For, I've got to clear some things up there. So first of all, old man, I don't think anyone was getting carried away with this. Firstly, every no. every person who was like, you know, a, a, a journalist of the time was saying this is going to be absolutely atrocious. It's not something to be excited by. I remember specifically Finn Martin in Power Slam talking about before Warrior was even signed to WCW, like four or five months before this, that WCW would be crazy to sign him because not only is he very difficult to work with and has a notoriously big ego and also isn't very good in the ring, he also doesn't draw anymore. Like in WWF, his run in 96 didn't draw. It just didn't draw. And so he was like, they won't get anything from this that they want. And they didn't. This was a really poor pay-per-view buy rate for this show 
despite the fact you've got effectively four really big matches on this show and all of them relatively new at least to wsw audience at the time it didn't get no one got sold on it it really didn't it really flopped from a business perspective Mm. as well as from a kind of artistic perspective i think the reason though why it gets slammed so much is because of that comparison again back to what wwf are doing even though as we've said that we all i think enjoyed this more than watching the undertaker versus kane last week the point is is that that still it still meant something people still wanted to see it it was still over the undertaker was still over austin was super over warrior was not and warrior was actively his presence was actively actively pushing people away from wcw from watching wcw their previous pay-per-view buy rates in this year had been well higher than this one his presence was actually removing fans from the equation which is crazy to the point Mm. where after this match i was expecting them to do something where the warrior disappeared or the warrior chased after hogan and horace at the end of it none of that we just leave it we just leave yeah. it like they built up to this really big match and then it's gone the, the rumors where he's being paid like a million dollars for a, a year and he'd only come in sort of two three months before this and was never seen again because basically he was unusable he didn't draw and he actively was pushing people away from the product i i, I will go as far to say that the signing of the warrior is one of, and there are many, but one of the steps on the way to WCW going out of existence, acutely because of the Warrior itself, but also because of what it represented, which was A, a quick fix solution to WCW no longer winning the Monday Night Ratings War every single week, and B, Bischoff's obsession with signing ex-WWE stars. Mm. And we've talked about that before on other shows, but there is no greater example of it than signing the Warrior to a big money deal Years after he's meant anything really to anybody in the business. Um, a crazy situation. The match itself isn't anywhere near as bad as I think some would make out. It's certainly not the worst thing ever. I mean, it's, it's, I guess it is bad if you just look at it from a face value and try and, and try and kind of assess it from that, that basic, I don't know, that really serious viewpoint of technically, is it any good? No. You know, does anyone interested? The fans don't care, really. In fact, they're really happy when they don't, they're no longer going to see the Warrior. So it is really bad. It's just in terms of it being a match that I wouldn't hate to watch again. (laughs) It's all right. It's okay. It's not boring. It's something that is bad. And so at least has some interest. Whereas, as you say, Chris Jericho versus Dean Ambrose from that show that we did payback to 2016. There's no way I would watch that again. There's just not a chance. So I guess from that perspective, it is hard to argue. But there we go. That's that's the assessment of Hogan versus the Warrior from Halloween Havoc 98. Mm. Thankfully, WCW decided to, I'm assuming originally they would have had this in the main event slot, but they decided to not have that as the main event. They're going to put on a World Heavyweight title match between Goldberg and Diamond Dallas Page to finish us up. It's a ten and a half minute match and it ends when Goldberg counters a suplex with a jackhammer to get the victory and retain his title old man what were your thoughts on this on this one well it's good to see buffer it's buffer time yeah, it is michael oh, buffer yeah oh mikey buff who talks for so this match is 10 and a half minutes talks for probably 15 minutes i think <laughs> he's talking some flannel uh, fucking hell what was interesting i thought was that they didn't have him do the intros for hogan warrior because he's there anyway i thought they might have done that and i thought Give that big match, big match feel, big fight feel. Don't want it, don't want it enough. Maybe they still want to, because they used to pay him something obscene, didn't they, to come in 
WCW. It's like 50 grand a pop or something stupid like that. Old, the, the old Buffinator. Lovely old job. Uh, there's a great Goldberg pop when he comes out. Takes him about a month to come out to the ring. I think he walks the same way that Bret Hart does when Bret Hart comes down and they start playing his music. But he doesn't, Bret Hart doesn't get the camera following him or tracking him. <laughs> I thought this was all right, to be honest. Mainly down to DDP because he is trying to make Goldberg look a, not a million bucks because he already looks a million bucks the way they book him. A billion bucks. He's trying to make him... He's basically leading him through this match, obviously, because it's 10 and a half minutes. It's not a 40-second squash. And it's good because of that. It's not very good because of Goldberg. Because Goldberg... Does, he just looks like a lost little sausage. <laughs> just a little sweaty sausage, I found. He just doesn't... He doesn't seem to know what's going on most of the time. Unless he's spearing someone or trying to jackhammer someone. I mean, he gets DDP up for that jackhammer. It is very impressive because he's a big old unit on DDP. There's a bit of time killing during the match, which you'd expect. I mean, to be honest, this should have probably been about a five-minute match. I think it would have been much better for it. But it's the main event. And they, people have just been through Bret Hart and Sting and Hogan Warrior, which is a tough half-hour wrestling. But this was all right. This is the highest of the last three matches but the drop-off is quite enormous, as we've had. But you've got previous for this, WCW. They should have learned. Tom? I actually quite enjoyed this match. I'm not going to lie. I went in for low expectations. I went in with low expectations, should I say, after watching that absolute fucking shart of a match that we just watched. But and, I then, and then it. seeing the Hogan Warrior match. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> and the the crowd are dead at the beginning, and then they really get into it. Further to old man's comments on the long entrance from Goldberg, you got to feel a bit sorry for DDP, haven't you? Just standing there like a tit in the ring <laughs> for all that time, waiting for Goldberg to snort and fart and grunt his way to the ring. I thought it had quite a good, quite a good kind of intense start between the two of them. Some impressive athleticism from Goldberg in it. He does a backflip. Mm-hmm. In a match, which I was like, hello, there he is. DDP, as you said, old man, is bumping around all over the shop. And then at some point in it, Goldberg goes for a spear in the corner and does the old gold gold dust spot where he flies out of the ring. I thought to myself, maybe it's because he's got the word gold in his name. <laughs> maybe that's why it happens. And that moment when DDP reverses the jackhammer attempt um, into a diamond cutter, is great and the crowd go nuts for it and the false finish and it really the crowd really come alive and i gotta say fair play to both of them i like it's I, like i agree with you old man i think ddp does a lot of the work in the match but fair play to both of them because they do really get the crowd going at that point and yeah like you know what's going to happen you know it's going to be a jackhammer and a finish but I, I thought it was quite good and i think ddp is still probably selling <laughs> the, the yeah. wins for his match because he's all over the shop one thing that we have, I think we've overlooked this in the past there, right? We watched five or six DDP matches, I assume at this point. We've, have we all overlooked how absolutely horrible his hair is? <laughs> it yeah. is absolutely gross, and we've never mentioned it, because I think you're like, well, it's DDP, we know his hair is awful. Yeah. His hair is disgusting. It is really gross, long, scraggly, awful bleach job. It makes makes him look weird as well. The star, awful, awful stuff. So but, is his hair worse here or when he's got the short bleach job when he debuts in WWE? 
that's pretty bad. I think he's. I don't know if he's ever had a good hair day. If I'm being <laughs> honest, on DDP. <laughs> um, Join the club, DDP. It's not a no hair day. Um, but overall, like I said, I quite enjoyed this match. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. The crowd are into it. Quite intense. DDP's a hero. Goldberg plays his part in it as well, because without his mad kind of mental, you know, offense and stuff like that, there's just there's no way it would work unless unless they were both both in it at the same time. Pretty good dance partners. Nice little show of respect to the end. Quite liked it. It's a bit weird how the, the pay-per-view then kind of just ends. You know, there's no, there's no like celebration in the ring or anything. It's just that's the end of the pay per view, and there aren't any WCW credits, which is disappointing, or at any overly long, boring interviews <laughs> with the commentary team regaling how fantastic <laughs> the night's been. But it was a, uh, it was, it was a good match and a good, good end to to this card in general. Right. So let's start with the nothing after the match because this is actually quite a big story that came out of the show was that we've already commented twice that they didn't need any more matches and they did add two matches during this show and it went as a consequence it went from 50 minutes to half an hour over and ended up in the in a lot of markets people didn't see the main event mm, because yeah. the pay-per-view company switched it off so that's going to be one of the reasons why it cut immediately because they were kind of like we really have to get off because we've been on too long to the match itself really like the match i thought this was an excellent match i thought it was really really like super high intensity the fans were just well into it i thought even before they came out for that out for the match goldberg super over massive like noise for goldberg as he comes out they presented him phenomenally honestly one of the best present presentations of a wrestler ever because you because you really do think about actually i was kind of comparing him to the warrior a bit in the sense that here's a guy who doesn't really know the business doesn't really like the business that much really in truth if we're honest with ourselves has had has not been around for very long at at this point was still only about a year into his career as a professional wrestler and yet here here he was world champion the most over wrestler in wcw actually at this point quite close to being on a par of Austin's level of popularity and um, things did go downhill from after the end of this year but at this point there was not much between the two of them and he just looked like a killer he was super over he was absolutely phenomenal people were watching WWE just to see him and they have this great little match which is I thought very similar to the best of Brock Lesnar matches that we got sort of 2015 14 16 year around that period where he kind of just turned up and all of his matches felt like a big fight really big you know big deal really felt important and it did it felt really important and it also there was something kind of wcw saying to everybody look we're really sorry about this match like mm-hmm. in that they were kind of like we know we've we've just constantly thrown nwo bullshit at you for ages we've done it during this show we've had Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who are members of different factions of the NWO, Bret Hart and Sting, who are members of different factions of the NWO, Hogan and and Scott Steiner and the Giant and Buff Bagwell. And we've had the Warrior, who's got the One Warrior Nation thing that's going on as well. (laughs) And they've gone, fuck this, you know, we're just going to put out the two biggest WCW babyfaces we've got, get rid of all the WCW shit, put on a straight wrestling match. And it's going to be big. It's going to be intense. The lockup at the start of the match, just the lockup, mm. is just like they're so intense. I just thought this mm. is great. This is really dramatic. Really thought it was great. I, I really did like this match a lot. But it, as I said, it also had a feel about of it that is something bigger than just the match. There was a kind of, as I said, almost an apology. Okay, we've done that. Here you go. Here's here's something that you can get your teeth into and enjoy. And it was really good. So I thought it ended the show on a very high note. 
And I thought DDP was phenomenal. I think that we, we've seen DDP wrestle in 95, in 96, and now in 98. We also mm. saw him obviously on our second episode uh, in 97, where he turned yeah. the NWO down for a second time. But here, I just think he's reached a sort of peak of his powers where he's now, he's over, but he's not as, as popular as Goldberg. So Goldberg's a bigger star and a more popular, but at no point does anyone boo DDP. They just want Goldberg to win because they really yeah. like Goldberg. It's just, I just really liked it. Just everything about it. I thought it was a really interesting and different thing and stood out so much from what WWE were doing at the time with all the NWO nonsense that was now quite a lot after it's outstayed its welcome really so and and good decision in the end by WWE to put this mm. on last even though unfortunately lots of people failed to see it because the uh their pay-per-view carriers were turning off because they should only have really gone three hours on the show so time for our overall thoughts our match of the night our rating out of 10 our mvp of the night and also after you've done that i'd like you to reflect on how you felt about it compared to last mm. week's show judgment day in your house start with you tom I'm going to give this a 6 out of 10. There are some crap matches and some daft moments during this entire thing. And it was long. I will say that. It was long. Mm. But at no point during this was I bored. There are no matches in it that I'm going to go and watch again. I don't think I'd even watch the main event again, although I did enjoy it. But there was just something about this that I just I just enjoyed. It's it felt like I said before about WCW pay-per-views. It didn't it feels nostalgic with it, but still being new for me. And I did just enjoy it and I kind of like I said I quite like the Wolf Pack. There even though there isn't really a storyline between the Wolf Pack and and NWO Hollywood as it is. It's still there kind of bubbling under. And overall, I thought this was decent. So I'm going to give it that. My MVP, I know you can't give it to two people, but so if I have to give it to one, I will. You do. But, okay, one of the lads in the crowd who can't do Alex Wright's dance. They <laughs> <laughs> were just doing the bushwhackers, silly ones. And my match of the night is DDP versus the gold lad. Like I said, it picked picked the crowd up after, you know, a bit of a letdown. <laughs> I don't think anyone was ever expected to be good, but a bit of a letdown of the match between Hollywood Hogan and the Warrior. And the match between DDP Goldberg, despite the fact that it was for the WCW title, it felt like a bit of a bit of a sleeper. You know, that no one no one really talked about much. So it became a bit of a surprise. So that's that's my match of the night as well. DDP versus Gold Lad. And your comparison between the two shows? I think I prefer this one. I mean, I preferred it to Judgment Day. I think there there's probably an element of familiarity breeding contempt with the WWE show, obviously being very familiar with everything that went on, having, you know, probably seen it before. So I think this one I enjoyed a little bit more, mainly probably just because it was a little bit refresher, fresher. I dare say... If I was to put on, I don't know, three episodes of Nitro and Raw, I would shit all over the episodes of Nitro and love Raw. But in terms of a standalone pay-per-view, I think this one's better. Actually, hang on, let me just. Uh, what did I rate last year, last week's one? You gave it a four, so you. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I stand true. Yeah. Yes. I really enjoyed this. I think my reaction to the main event was more after the Bret Hart Sting and Hogan Warrior matches. I think if I watched that in isolation, I would probably wholeheartedly agree with you, lads. My match of the night, now I think this is the most I've had trouble with picking, because you've got Disco Inferno and Ubuntu. It's not a match, but you've got the whole like 15, 20 minutes with Rick and Scott Steiner. And then, much to my surprise, you've got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. I think mainly because of the end, and Big Steak told a lovely, lovely story through it. You know what? I'm going to give that as my match of the night. 
I think mainly because it really caught me off guard. And when I was summed up, it was as good as I thought it was going to be. Sorry, as good as I could expect it to be. So it caught me off guard. And also, like, like I just said, the story running through it was lovely. I can't believe I've just given Kevin Nash match of the night. <laughs> How about that, eh? You're going to surprise yourself when you give him MVP as well. Oh, give over. We all know the MVP is for me. It's a big discount for it now, isn't it? <laughs> In terms of a rating, I'm going to give this a seven. Wow. Because I I wasn't, because of time constraints, I wasn't able to watch this all in one go. I watched it in two sittings, consecutive evenings. And the only time I was genuinely bored was for about three minutes when Sting was getting chucked on that stretcher. And I was probably like, oh, this is bloody boring. This is taking ages. But that's more because that was a man being put on a stretcher. And it's not the most exciting thing to watch. But yeah, I was not bored. And this is significantly better than the WWE show we watched last week. Because, so you've got the Rick Steiner, Scott Steiner story. You've got Scott Hall, Kevin Nash story. Bret Hart's sting is a bit woolly, that story. In spite of how it's not done very well, you've got Hogan and Warrior. You've got DDP's earned a title shot. You've got Disco Inferno. You've got Adam Bomb. <laughs> There's so much more reason for things to happen on this card than there were in last week's card, I thought, when I was watching it. And yeah, just better. I think if we were to watch do this for next month's pay-per-views, it would not be better. <laughs> but on this one, yeah, significantly so. So I'm giving it a 5 out of 10. I thought it was okay um, and better than I thought it would be. I didn't think it was quite average i thought it was slightly under average but uh it was it was all right it was it was okay i'm gonna give my mvp to rick steiner because mm. i had disco inferno penciled in as well and the reason i had a ri- i'd originally thought rick steiner and then the reason i demoted him was because he did cut that terrible promo in the opening <laughs> bit of the show <laughs> and i was like yeah that was pretty bad but then i thought you know what he then wrestles for nearly 20 minutes so and yeah. and he's the star of that segment he's just that he just really over with the crowd I, I liked it a lot so giving it to rick steiner my match tonight is easily the main event i just think the main event's really good but i, I also want a, a kind of mention for the opener i thought raven and chris jericho was a really tidy decent little match and had it had a reason to take place and hadn't been thrown on in the last minute the last minute probably would have um could have rivaled that main event but the, yeah. the main event was felt big time and it and it as a consequence i really enjoyed it in terms of the, the comparison between the two, I think it's just so fascinating because this is at the point when the Monday Night War is still competitive. There is still a battle going on. It's not like in 99 and 2000 when WWE was so far ahead of WCW, it was silly. This was still a point where they were still trading back and forth the victory in the Monday Night War. They both had a super over main event star and WCW easily had a more in-depth roster in terms of the 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 names we said last week wwe's main main event was austin undertaker and kane and that was it and they'd had every conceivable combination of matches between those three that they could possibly have done by this point they had the rock coming up to that point and mankind was still always in that sort of upper mid card slash main event position but in truth that was their main event those three guys in wcw just on this in, on this show you've got kevin nash you've got hulk hogan you've got bret hart you've got sting you've got goldberg you've got ddp you know and there are people who aren't even on the show and there are some wrestlers lower down the card 
who could become main event guys. I think if they, you know, eventually they did make Scott Steiner into a main event wrestler. There are people like Chris Jericho showing real talent and real potential. I think even Raven was an, an engaging and interesting character mm. that could have been pushed harder in, in in the future. Not only that, but they were either just about to or had just reintroduced Ric Flair to the to the, to the roster after he'd been out from earlier in the year because he'd had a big fallout and legal battle with Eric Bischoff. He was now coming back. The Four Horsemen were returning, and along with that, Chris Benoit was obviously a part of that. I had Eddie Guerrero on the roster. They had a phenomenal roster at WWE at the time. It really was impressive. But they were just squandering it. And this is the difference, is that WWE were just so super efficient with their roster and the way they used it. So I know that we bemoaned the constant, you know, the fact that The Undertaker and Kane had happened multiple times that year. Mm. But the fact that they weren't willing to go out and spend huge amounts of money to bring in a relic from the 1980s just so they could come up with something off the fly that would hopefully pop a rating said it all about the different approach the two companies had at this point in time. And actually, if you look at the production, the WWE, as I said, darker, slightly less frills about it, not lots of money being thrown at the set, for example. Here's WCW with all these big lights and just big glitzy mm. production values. And even there, they feel like they're being profligate in the way that they're they're presenting the show. It's just it's just a really interesting contrast in the two. And amazing really that WWE ended up getting the upper hand in this war, given mm. where they were at this point in time. And yeah. it is a better show, I think, Halloween Havoc ninety eight, uh, having watched it Today, I think, uh, sorry, this week and last week, I never thought I'd say that, but I think it is a better show, mm. which is um, very, very strange. It's worth saying that Halloween Havoc is one of the bigger shows of WWE's calendar, and obviously yeah. WWE's was just a run-of-the-mill kind of in-your-house type show. Mm. Okay, so it's time for the game, and it's my turn this week oh, to we play go, host. So strap yourselves in, because we're going back to WCW title fun, which we've had some uh, bum notes with in the past with the tag team titles that didn't go so well this time i'm asking for cruiserweight champions from the wcw the same applies as we've had before so the i'm incentivizing you to get the champions who've held the title the most so the more title reigns that you get the more points you get so if someone's held the title for say 10 types you would get 10 points i'm going to start with you old man uh rain mysterio absolutely five points that is the top answer Yes. Uh, Kidman. Billy Kidman. Two points. Dean Malenko. Oh, that's another big one. In fact, that's a joint mm. second best answer of four. Uh, Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, two. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, Jericho. Chris Jericho. He is the next best answer. Four. Oh. Uh, Hoovy. Yes, Hoovy. Three. So the points at the moment are Tom Seven, Old Man Thirteen. Oof. A massacre. He's got all the three biggest answers, Old Man. Yeah. Um. Small lads. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thunder Liger. No. Nah. Not Liger. So that's one life gone, Old Man. I'll give you. I'm gonna give you three. Not that there's huge amounts on here, but... Um, Psychosis? Psychosis, yes, two points. Bloody heck. Disco Inferno. Correct, one point. Yes. yes. Um, oh, Jamie Noble? Afraid not, no. No Jamie Noble. 
Just going to check that he's who he was, what he was called then isn't on the list, but it's not. Perry Sutton. No. <laughs> not not cruiserweight. <laughs> Big old Perry Sutton. <laughs> um, Shane or Gregory Helms? Shane Helms, yes, correct. Fuck off, Tommy. That's it is now. There's now a gap of four points, and old man's lost two lives. Alex Wright. Alex Wright's correct. One point. Yes. A uh, Blitzkrieg. No. Love the shout though, Tom. Love it. Oh fuck. So I've lost two lives as well now. You have, yeah. Fuck. Bloody he was good. Yeah. He was good. He only was around for like six months. Um. How many are there, Tinky? There are. Uh, this is. There are twenty-five different champions. You have got ten of them. Okay. Bloody hell. I don't think we'll be getting twenty-five, mate. The giant. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't have surprised me given that Vince Russo was still to come in both yeah. of you, but I don't think they were in the company at the same time, unfortunately. So, mm. afraid not, old man. So, have I got to keep going until I beat old man's score? Is that how yes. this works? You can't okay. get any wrong, and there, there, you are five points down. There <sighs> are just two multi-time champions left. Oh. All right. Six. So I, he... Six is correct. One point for six. Oh, this is going to be tense. Um, Ultimo Dragon. Yes, two. Oh no, it's coming for me. I can feel it breathing on my neck. Um, fuck me. Are any of them household names, Tinky? Mm, what well, one or two of them, maybe? Did Chris Benoit ever win the cruiserweight title? Uh, afraid not. No, uh, no, because I thought he did in his early days. I thought he came in as a cruiserweight. Anyway, there was one name on here that in particular will be upset of missing, which is Chavo Guerrero Jr. Who obviously who this pay per view was named after. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um there's also so let's go through the list. I've got um the only other the only other multi time champion was Daphne. Who, oh rest in peace. Yeah, recently died, but but I yeah, who knows how she became a two time cruiserweight champion. Um, there was also another woman that won the Cruiserweight Championship. That was Medusa or Alundra Blaze. And also non-wrestler Ed Ferrara in his Oklahoma gimmick, which was a Ugh. ripoff of Jim Ross, also won the Cruiserweight Championship. Yeah, this very, is the uh, Vince Russo stuff. Yeah, this is yeah. the Vince Russo stuff coming through now. Um, the other champion, so Shinjiro Otani was the first ever. Oh, oh see him after. We also, we mentioned him today. Lenny Lane was a one-time Cruiserweight champion. Uh, Evan Courageous. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was a member of Three Count alongside Shane Helms and Shannon Moore in WCW. The Artist, who we saw at Slambury 2000. And Chris Candido. They fought each other, of course, on that pay-per-view. For the Uh, title, I believe. Yes, for the title. Crowbar was a Cruiserweight champion. Elix Skipper. And Mike Sanders were also cruiserweight champions. And finally, Lance Storm was a cruiserweight. Uh, champion. Oh, my boy Lance! The to end. Be fair, that's result, a fucking rogues gallery, isn't it? Bloody yeah. hell! The end result was Old Man 15, Tom 13. So you nearly closed that mm. gap. It was getting tight. What's the uh, what is the scoring games? 
I have no idea, mate. I think I lost count many, many moons ago. <laughs> I thought you were keeping a record. Well, I, I was, think you were battering us every time he plays. That's why. Yeah, yeah, but I've been in the last few times. So I have got records up to about only a couple of episodes ago, in fairness. And I have got. Did you, did you stop? Like, did you stop when like you lost one? Yeah. To be honest, I don't think I don't think my records are right because by the oh hang on no no they might be right so hang on. Um, so I've got 24, Tom had six, and you had nine. Yes, fucking had that, Tom. <laughs> so That's... that was a couple of episodes ago. I, I said, but I even then was kind of losing track, so I wasn't really paying oh, that much attention. Well, well, since then, Tom's won 19. <laughs> I've, and I've won yeah. 16, so unlucky, Tinky. That's what. That's why I've been keeping count. That's why I've been keeping count. <laughs> okay, so that brings us bang up to date with everything we need to do today. Well, Old band, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. I hope everyone's had a pleasant Halloween and there wasn't too much half up. <laughs> anyway, shut up about that and just remember, Kempatoa. And Tom, thank you for your contributions too. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whoever's shall be found without the soul forgetting signs must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. The foulest stench is in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And although you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the random wrestling. So it's such a shame that that last line, for some reason, doesn't doesn't rhyme like everything else. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that poem I wrote. <laughs> Off the top of your head, apparently, yeah. like Mark Henry last week. Yeah. Um, we will be back again next week with more randomly reviewed wrestling shows. But until then, take care. <laughs>